3: Welcome to Heard at Sports Radio. Phoenix, quick snap, toss sweep left. Dylan Johnson angles left side, and he bounces into the end zone. Touchdown, Dylan Johnson. 13th rushing touchdown of the season. Let's out a lion of a yell. And the Huskies have a 9-0 lead in the Pac-12 championship here in the first quarter. Quinn with the snap, turns and hands it to Blue. Breaks free at the 50. Actually, that's Keelan Robinson down the sideline forty said he stepped out of bounds or did he he did not
4: touchdown texas snap to miller jay to look he's got a wide open 20 15 10 5 touchdown alabama
3: takes
0: the lead with 12.04 to go
4: in the first half shotgun for JJ from the six yard
5: line takes the snap inside handoff blake corham bounces it back the other direction blake fighting for the end zone touchdown wolverines blake corham Ties the school record with his 55th career rushing touchdown.
3: Sharman lets it go. His third triple of the first half. And their leading score is starting to heat up here at PBA. And this was a dominant performance by Greg McDermott's team. And the Blue Jays with a 29-point victory against Nebraska. This is a really good win for us because of what I think of Nebraska and and Coach Hoiberg's team. I've been really impressed with how connected they are on both ends of the floor. For us to come in here and and do this to them is really a credit to our guys' preparation and focus.
6: Good morning. Welcome in to Herd Hat Sports Radio here on a Monday morning. I'm Robbie Lula. We are on AM 590 ESPN Omaha ESPN Tri-Cities. And we're coming to you live from the Herd Out Sports Bar and Grill, the H&H Chevrolet stage. As you may have noticed, I am riding solo this morning. Uh, our guy Andrew Rogers is a bit under the weather, so he will not be in this morning. So it's just you, me, and Shane here this morning uh, on the show. But we do have a trip. Why the
3: f- is Shane walking in there?
6: I, we don't even know. We never know why Shane's walking where he's walking. Probably to go vape most of the time, if I had to guess.
4: Oh, come on, Shane.
6: <laughs> but uh, we do have a good show for you here this morning. Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald joins us at 8 a.m. Uh, Damon Benning joins us at 8.30. He'll be with us for the bottom half of that hour. Uh, Ryan Fowler... He covers college football and NFL for the Bleacher Report. And then we will wrap up the show with Jacob Padilla to talk about Nebraska and Creighton basketball as well. as We'll see if we can get some volleyball takes out of him as well to wrap up the show. Of course, we'll also do the War Horse Sportsbook sports cleanup as well. Speaking of War Horse Sportsbook, you can reach us on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline, 888-638-4876. If you feel bad for me, want to keep me a little company this morning, that is the best way to do it. Uh, you can also chime in on that YouTube channel like TK already has. Um, <laughs> TK says lots of madness to talk about. I mean, probably can't even make it to Creighton this morning. Well, we'll see what happens, TK. We'll, we'll see what happens with the uh, show as we go along. But he's right. There is a ton of madness to talk about. And mad being the key word there for uh, the Florida State Seminoles as they are an undefeated conference champion, power five team, that has been left out of the college football playoff at thirteen and zero, Florida State drops a spot despite winning and is left on the outside looking in of the college football playoff and you and seem listen very
2: hurt right now Are you gonna-
6: there's a i 'm actually not that upset about the Florida State part of it what i 'm upset about is that the s e c should have been shut out of the playoff and they weren't um Whoever, you know, ESPN, the committee, whoever, just could not help themselves. They couldn't They couldn't fathom a world in which the SEC was not in the playoff. Um, I could, and I loved it for, you know, the 12 hours, 16 hours that it seemed like a possibility. Uh, the AP poll got it right. They had Florida State at four uh, and Alabama at five. Here's my real problem with the situation, okay, because – You could have the argument of best versus most deserving, which I'm sure we will at some point. You can have the argument about injuries and how Florida State's a different team than they were a month ago, and I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. But here's where the committee got it wrong, is last week when Jordan Travis was still injured, when Florida State was still undefeated, when Alabama still had the one loss. Texas still had the one loss. Georgia is the only team that lost out of that group, and they fell out. Florida State was still ahead of Alabama and Texas at that point. They were still ahead of Alabama and Texas when Jordan Travis was hurt. And listen, you can make the argument that, hey, Alabama really did a, Uh, a a number on on winning that Alabama game, or winning that Georgia game in the SEC championship, you can make that argument, and I'll listen to it. That's the best win anybody's had this season, is Alabama over Georgia. Here's where the problem comes in, And and this is why the committee did it, and it's a stupid reason, okay? Number one, Texas, if, if, if you think that's the best win of the season, you say Alabama deserves to be in the playoff because they have the best win anybody had this season, their one loss is not a bad loss, and they won a conference title. I can hear that argument. That makes sense to me. You can bump them four spots, which is what happened. They went from eight to four. You can make, you can, you can make that bump because of that, sure. It's a lot, but sure. Here's where you end up in trouble. Is Texas's win over Oklahoma State with a starter at quarterback and, and whatever else is not better than Florida State's win over Louisville? It's just not. Louisville was better than Oklahoma State. Louisville was a better football team than Oklahoma State. So Texas got bumped four spots for winning against a worse team. And yes, they did it in more impressive fashion. Okay, whatever. They got bumped four spots. You're telling me a 28-point win over a worse Oklahoma State team is more impressive than a Florida State win over a better football team with a third-string quarterback, by the way. You're telling me that 18 extra points margin of victory is worth four spots in the college football playoff. And the answer is no, it's obviously not. But here's where you run into a problem, because Alabama probably deserved to be in the college football playoff more than Texas. But Texas had the head-to-head win. And so to get themselves out of these mental gymnastics of having to say, hey, Oak, uh, Alabama is better than Texas right now, but Texas – Beat them earlier in the season, but that was a long time ago, and whatever. Trying to try to do these hurdles and, and mentally to try and get you to a place where you can put Alabama over Texas without a head-to-head win. Texas is a powerful player. Instead, they weasel their way out of that conversation by just leaving Florida State out. Who, oh, by the way, still undefeated, still a conference champion, still had a better win on conference championship weekend than Texas did. And did it all with the third-string quarterback. Oh, and by the way, held a Louisville offense that had been really good all year to basically nothing. And won a game when everybody knew that their quarterback could not throw. Won a game where they had to run wildcat, not because they wanted to, but out of necessity. You're telling me that that is more impressive, or that's less impressive than Texas going out and beating a worse Oklahoma State team. I don't buy it. I'm just not going to buy it. And Corey chimes in on the YouTube uh, stream. I never let myself believe the committee would actually leave the SEC out. And listen, that's fair. Maybe I'm I'm too much of a bright-eyed optimist. But... It was the right thing to do, because here's what you've told us about college football playoff committee I'm sure you're listening is that the wins and losses don't actually matter. That's what you're saying here, is the wins and losses don't actually matter. Florida State went out and won every single game on their schedule. And you decided, "Eh, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because uh, we think Texas was a little bit more impressive. We think Alabama was a little bit more impressive. Going out and winning every game on your schedule doesn't matter. That's that's the lesson we learned from this. And listen, I'd actually be okay if last week or the week before, whenever Jordan Travis had gotten hurt, because they did this initially, where they dropped Florida State out of the top four. But then Ohio State lost to Michigan. So Florida State jumped back up into the top four after that game. I actually would have been okay if they had just left Florida State lower and said, hey, with the injury, with the lack of Jordan Travis, we think Alabama and Texas are better than these teams. But they didn't do that. They left Ohio State right behind Florida State. And they left Texas and Alabama at 7 and 8 respectively. It's like these people don't have the cognitive ability to look ahead a week and say, hey, we might end up in a situation where we think Texas and Alabama are better than Florida State. Maybe we should put the rankings this week in such a way that that decision would actually make sense. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know who all is in that room. I suppose I could look it up. But... I'm guessing that there's the same type of people that are in most rooms making most decisions. Oh, yeah, I was right. It's a bunch of, like, octogenarians in that room that probably don't have the cognitive ability to actually think a week ahead of time. I mean, it looks like I'm looking at Congress right now with all of these old white dudes in front of the, on the committee here not like 90-year-olds making decisions about the future that they don't have to deal with. This is a committee that, I, I, like, that's the part that I don't understand. Is if you thought this was a possibility, which everyone knew, by the way. Everyone knew Jordan Travis was out for the year. Everyone knew that there was a chance that Florida State wasn't going to be as good as their resume. By the end of the season. So why didn't the rankings reflect that when you knew it? Florida State was still ahead of Texas. Florida State was still ahead of Alabama when this all happened. That's the fact of the matter. I'm upset because of what the college football playoff committee told me was true last week. Because you're not going to see Brock Glenn a month from now the third string quarterback. Tate Rodemaker's injury isn't season ending the way Jordan Travis's is. And look, I get Tate Rodemaker is not Jordan Travis, but they looked better offensively with Tate Rodemaker. Cuz he's not a true freshman getting thrown into a championship game. Not everybody can be Tua to tongue of Iloa. That's the that's the part that doesn't make any sense. Is if this was true, it would have been true last week as well. It can't all of a sudden just now be true. That doesn't make any sense. Hear the words. Thomas on uh, TK on YouTube says, FSU is being punished for not lying about Jordan Travis's injury. If FSU said he would be back for the playoff, the committee would have had to put him in punished for doing everything right. Corey says, everyone who says expanding the playoffs will devalue the regular season can shut up now. Yeah, Corey's right, and so is TK. Although I will say, I'm not sure how much Florida State could have lied about the injury because Jordan Travis's foot was pointed the wrong direction. So that would have been tough to lie about because that is... That is, I mean, that could only be so many things if your foot is pointed the wrong direction. They could have tried to lie about it. They could have tried to pull on Aaron Rodgers and be like, hey, I'll be back in 15 minutes. It's fine. Which, by the way, now all of a sudden he's, they're starting to hedge. They're like, oh, well, if, if, if the Jets aren't in playoff contention, he's probably not going to play. Oh, really? He had a torn Achilles. He wasn't going to play anyway, geniuses. Like, if it actually was a torn Achilles. Now they might have lied about that on the front end. But if it was a completely torn Achilles the way he was talking about it, that dude was never going to play. And as far as Corey is talking about, yeah, the, the regular season, the committee just told us, and maybe they were trying to prepare us mentally for the regular season not mattering anymore, which, you know, thank you for doing the Lord's work committee in telling us that, oh, yeah, it's okay. The, the, uh, the regular season doesn't matter actually that much. We, uh, we just need you to understand we're kind of going to do whatever we want here. So appreciate that, committee. But Corey's right. Anybody's like, "Oh, the regular season's devalued." but uh, it's like, well, Florida State won all their games, and they didn't get a go anyway. So maybe maybe the regular season was already devalued. Maybe the regular season's devalued for everybody that doesn't play in the SEC. Terrence chimes in. The system was trash from I think he meant the jump. Five major conferences and four spots. There's always sometimes there's always one, sometimes two conferences left out. At Terrence, that's fair. Usually, though, it was the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 was such trash for most of this last decade, uh, to the point where their league is not going to exist next year. Uh, but you're right, having four spots for five major conferences never made sense. It was designed to create outrage, and I think it was designed because that was the highest number that all these octogenarians could decide on for a playoff. It's the same reason it's 12 instead of 16. It should be 16, but it's the same reason it's 12. 12 is the number that makes the least amount of sense. It should be 8 or it should be 16, but it's 12 instead. So, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the highest number that the egomaniacs running this thing could, could agree on. And so we ended up with four. And because college football moves at a glacial pace, we're like, oh, it's progress. We were we were in the bowl system not that long ago. Oh, and isn't it better than the BCS? It's like <laughs> it's it's like if you are in a relationship with somebody. The that's right, Bo. The BCS. That's why they make that call. It's like when you're in a relationship with somebody and They're not actively mean to you the way your ex was. And you're like, oh, don't I treat you so much better than your ex? It's like, well, you still don't treat me well. You still aren't nice to me. You're just not actively mean. That doesn't mean it's a good relationship. It means it's just slightly less less toxic. It's like, yes, the college football playoff is better than the BCS. That doesn't mean it's a good system. It just means it's slightly less toxic. It's flickering. Thomas says he thinks it's worse than the BCS. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, and, and TK makes a good point. Funny no one talks about Michigan cheating anymore. We forget the whole Connor Stallions thing. or just Michigan doesn't get penalized for cheating for the last three years. But Florida State gets penalized for having a quarterback break his leg in half. I don't know. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, on an unrelated note, Brian chimes in, and I haven't seen this come out yet, so I don't know if it's true or not, but Brian on the YouTube channel says, McCord is in the portal. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I haven't seen it yet, but if that's accurate, Kyle McCord in the, Kyle McCord in the transfer portal would be really interesting. Um. Tk says playoff makes more money. BCS provided a consistently good game. Yeah, I don't. I, I suppose I'm. What I mean is the four-team format is better than the two-team format. But I'm not necessarily saying that the college football playoff committee is a better way of selecting than the BCS was. I think most years the BCS got it right. Uh, Terrence said mccord confirmed sounds like there's a mass exodus from ohio state so we are planning to talk about the transfer portal in uh later in the hour here there is today is actually i know we've been hearing about guys entering the portal for about a week but there is actually the portal opening today officially people can be in the portal so over the break i'll do my due diligence here and uh start figuring out who's in, who's out, and Arch Manning is trending. What does that mean? Uh-oh. Um, you know, I, the Arch Manning thing is funny because one of those guys is definitely leaving. Like, whether it's Malik Murphy or Arch Manning, one of those guys is leaving because Quinn Ewers is coming back, and I can actually see a, word in, a world in which they both leave. With Qu- Quinn Ewers coming back, n- neither of those guys signed up for that. Neither of those guys signed up for the fourth year of Quinn Ewers. Everyone assumed he'd go to the NFL. Both of those guys certainly are not sitting for another year. So that's an interesting situation there as well. Um, As we anticipated, Cam Ward from uh, from Washington State in the transfer portal as well. We'll get you up to date on those here in a few minutes as we... Continue on, and I have a chance to check the latest breaking transfer portal news on Twitter. But I, I, I know people think I'm mad because I like Florida State, and I do like Florida State. I'm not mad because of Florida State. Because, listen, I, I have no misconceptions about them winning a national title this year, especially without Jordan Travis. I didn't think they could win a national title this year with Jordan Travis. What I'm mad about is the inconsistency of the college football playoff rankings. Jordan Travis was hurt last week, too. Florida State was still number four. Really nothing changed except Alabama beat Georgia, so they flipped spots, and then the committee got scared about putting Alabama in when Texas had a head-to-head win over them. Texas didn't do enough to earn a spot this week. If you thought they were good enough, they were good enough the week before. But instead, they were at 7 and 8, respectively, between Texas and Alabama. That's the thing that doesn't make any sense here. That's the thing that should be maddening to everyone. Because last week they told us, I'm just going based on what the committee told us. Last week they told us, Florida State's still good enough with a backup quarterback. And what changed... From one week to the next. Because all I found out is oh, Florida State's still good enough with their third string quarterback. That's what I found out. That's what changed for me. I don't that's the part that's infuriating. Is the lack of self-awareness, the lack of consistency, and the lack of thinking forward just a single week to say, hey. What problems could arise by putting Texas and Alabama seven and eight this week? Hey, you could have put Florida State at five last week, maybe even six, and people would have understood. Be like, ah, oh, that's the Jordan Travis effect. He's he's been out. Got you don't feel good about that. You've got to. You've got to penalize them for Jordan Travis being out, but they didn't get penalized. They didn't get penalized for Jordan Travis being out until, until they went in and it was time to make the actual playoff. Uh, coming up next, we will talk some transfer portal. We're going to try and confirm some of these uh, quarterbacks heading into the portal. Dave and Travis piping in as well. We will get to all your comments on YouTube, on Twitter, on Twitter. And, of course, you can call us at 888-638-4876. More more Asperts Sports Radio coming up next.
3: Heard at Sports Radio.
6: Toefeely with Campbell to his right, takes a snap, delayed
4: run, running right, lowers the shoulder, lowers the shoulder. He fights, he scratches, he claws into the end zone. Lawrence Toefey, a two-play answer. Touchdown, Florida State.
3: Plummer back to pass again. A little more time. Now giving ground back at the 20 and pulled down at the 18-yard line. Guess who? Our old buddy Brandon Frisky just got to him again.
6: Welcome back to Herd Sports Radio here on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. I'm Ravi Lula. We're live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Herd Sports Bar and Grill, riding solo this morning as we tackle all of the college football news coming down the pipe today. Uh, Transfer portal opens. Obviously, we've got the college football playoff committee nonsense. Um, as we were talking before the break, uh, Kyle McCord is in the transfer portal along with, it looks like, about at least half a dozen other of his teammates. Uh, you've got a couple cornerbacks in the group uh, from Ohio State that are leaving. Evan Pryor, the running back, leaving as well. Um, it's a it's a pretty large group. Brian Turner, corner from Ohio State in the portal. Um, you've got Jair Brown in the portal as well. Uh, Ohio State safety Kyle Stokes uh, in the portal as well. Lots of portal news all over the place for uh, the for the Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm sure we will have more as the more as the day wears on. Um, Hopping back in that uh, YouTube comment section, which can always be dangerous, but uh, we appreciate you guys being in there. Uh, Wrapping up the conversation, I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout the the show, but Corey says the SEC's best non-con win was Kentucky over Louisville by seven the same Louisville team FSU beat by 10 with their third-string quarterback. That's a fair point, Corey, but why would we use logic and reason in this situation when we can just fly by the seat of our pants and not make any sense at all? Um, That that makes way too much sense, Corey. Oh, by the way, Florida State went out in their non-con and beat the brakes off of LSU. So I guess that doesn't matter. LSU, though, was top five in the country to start the season, and part of the large reason they weren't top five in the country moving forward was because of Florida State beating the brakes off of them. We're just going to ignore that part with the SEC supremacy story. That's fine. Let's just go ahead and uh, ignore that. Uh, We will get to – Dave asks in the – Uh, YouTube stream as well do we think Nebraska will move fast on a quarterback or take their time I imagine this is a take their time situation Dave I don't know that Nebraska is going to be in the high stakes bidding portion of the of the quarterback portal Um, I don't think they're probably going to be in on the Riley Leonard's the Will Howards the Cam Wards of the world I do look at a guy like DJ Uyunglele as an interesting option because I think he will have options, but I, I also think quite a bit of the shine from DJ U is, is is off a little bit. Even though I, I thought he was pretty solid this year for a good Oregon State team, a guy like that is interesting to me for Nebraska because he does have two years of eligibility left, and he is pretty much a ready-to-go starter um, for whoever he ends up choosing. That's a guy that's interesting to me because of the eligibility. Um, And then I mentioned this last week. If you're looking for a one-year instant impact guy, Grayson McCall from Carolina, uh, Coastal Carolina is really interesting to me as well. Uh, That's a guy that I could see Nebraska being interested in. But outside of that, I think you're going to be looking kind of down the list a little bit, maybe at some younger guys, some guys that have some – Development years in them, and I just don't know that Nebraska is going to be in on the the bidding war for the top of that um, for the top of that quarterback transfer class, which now includes Kyle McCord um, it'll be interesting to see who else enters the portal today. I still think I mentioned this in the last segment. I think Arch Manning or Malik Murphy or both will end up in the transfer portal. I do not think all three of him. Ewer, uh, uh, Manning, Ewers, and Murphy will all be at Texas next year. It doesn't make any sense at all for all three of those guys to still be there. And Ewers has already said he's coming back from, uh, not, and not going to the NFL, that he's coming back. And he's the starter, so he's not going anywhere. So Malik Murphy or Arch Manning, I would have to imagine, are going to be in the p- portal. Obviously, they're going to be hot commodities, especially Arch Manning, who was the top recruit in the country last year. Uh, speaking of some of the top recruits in the country, you've got the you've got a couple guys from the last couple classes. Um, depending on where you look, the top-rated player from the 2022 class, Walter Nolan from Texas A&M, is in the transfer portal. We talked about this last week, but the number two player in the 2023 class, uh, quarterback Dante Moore, a five-star who was at UCLA, is. Has announced his intentions to enter the transfer portal. Um, so you've got some high, high-level guys there, not just at quarterback, but at those other positions as well. Um, it's it's going to get pretty wacky here as the portal officially opens today. In the next few minutes, um, it's it's going to get pretty weird. So we'll see. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens here. But if I had to guess. I don't think I don't think Nebraska is going to be in the bidding war um that, that Nebraska is going to be in the bidding war for a quarterback. Now Travis says on the YouTube channel that he heard Nebraska met with Will Howard. Um I you know, it's possible. I don't <laughs> this time of year with uh I, this time of year it's really hard to know what's true and what's not about who meets with who and and who uh, ends up being, you know, who ends up actually. (laughs) It's all very clandestine is is what I mean to say in the transfer portal and meeting and stuff like that, especially if Nebraska has already met with Will Howard. um, That would mean it either happened really, really early this morning or – um before he was actually in the portal which gets a little dicey there as well um yeah so i just i just don't know uh, about the veracity of of and i'm sure it happens right um but it's hard to nail anything down because there is some gray areas there um as people are entering the portal but not in the portal yet and you know it's kind of when you're separated but you're not divorced yet like are you allowed to date i don't know um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's some of the uh, some of the gray area here uh, in the transfer portal. Uh, the uh, Corey also mentions I'd love uh, Grayson McCall. I would too. I think he'd actually be a really good fit. He's a terrific decision maker. Um, I think he'd be a really good fit um, about uh, uh, with the offense that Satterfield's trying to run. He's he's mobile enough, um, but he's not a true runner. The decision making at Coastal Carolina with uh jamie chadwell previously uh or in years previous to this um i, I think he's a good quick decision maker um so that's going to be uh, a, a guy that i think to keep an eye on uh nate calling in on the warhorse sportsbook hotline let's talk about the college football playoffs nate what's going on man hey what's going on man how you doing this morning i'm doing good how are you yeah i'm good man uh so uh, what you, what you think about the playoff selection yeah, I mean, I think it's terrible, if I'm being honest. Like, I, and it's not – for me, the biggest issue is the lack of consistency from week to week, right? Because Jordan Travis didn't get hurt against Louisville. Right. That would make sense right. if they dropped him after he gets hurt in that game, right? But he got hurt a few weeks right. ago. Like, you knew he was hurt last week when you still had Florida State in that number four spot. And you still had well, – who, 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 who would you take off then? I would take Alabama off. Oh no! Come on, man. Well, listen. Come on, man. Listen here, here, here. Uh, hear me out, Nate. I would take. I. I personally take Alabama off. It's mostly because I think it'd be funny to to see the SEC left out. But come on, man. You, no. Here. Hear me out. I can. I can understand an argument for Alabama over Texas. I don't think the committee had the stones to put Alabama in when Texas had a head to head win because Alabama has a better resume on. than Texas. They do. You. You don't go through the SEC undefeated and get left off the playoff. I would take – I mean, who, who has Michigan played this year, man? That's Come a, on. That's a fair point, and they are cheaters, so let's take Michigan out. I'm okay with that. And what about Washington? The Pac-12 is weak, man. The, dude, the Pac-12 was good you this know? year. Come on, Nate. The Pac-12 was really good this year. They're good? Out. They had Oregon and who else? Oregon was really good. Utah was good. Oregon State was good. Yeah. Utah no, Utah come on, was man. good. Come on. Utah would beat up on a lot. Of, I mean, Utah would beat up on a lot of Big 10 teams. Even with You're that talking about The Utes? Yes, the Utes would beat up on a lot of Big 10 teams, especially even with their <laughs> quarterbacks. Man, the Utes would The youths would have got undefeated in the Big 10 West. Come on, man. Oh, uh, come on, man. The Big 10 West, yeah, least, you know, I don't know how much the Big 10 West means, but uh Nate, we got to hit a break here. We appreciate the call, man. All right, thanks for taking the call, man. That's uh, Nate on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline. Coming up next, we will wrap up the first hour. Still lots of college football stuff to get here. Transfer Portal, Coaching Carousel, all of it and more here on Herd Sports Radio. You're listening to
3: Hurt At Sports Radio. From the left hash mark, third down and four handoff. Baxter flips it back. Ewers throws, downfield, wide open. J.P. Sanders puck,
6: touchdown Texas. How about a little trickeration for you? That one goes for a 24-yard score. Welcome back. As we wrap up our number one here on the Hurt At Sports Radio. I'm Robbie Lula. Shane Schilberg producing for me. We're live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. We're live from the H&H Chevrolet stage here at Hurtout Sports Bar and Grill. And we are knee-deep in transfer portal season as we mostly look at quarterbacks. But there's a there's a ton of other players including as i mentioned earlier Walter Nolan defensive lineman who was the top prospect in the country according to some services from Texas A&M he um he hops in the portal as well it is a um it is a wild time here in college football and uh we We'll try and keep track as I as I scroll Twitter. Well, you got you got the portal. You got head coaches
0: moving everywhere. You got playoffs. I mean, it, it, this is a great time
6: for college football. This is it's kind of like the NBA off season, where sometimes people get a little bit more jazzed up about the storylines and the movement and everything than people do actually about the games themselves
0: well we got and we got 43 bowl games coming up so i mean we got that to look forward to the games themselves
6: i mean i don't know how many of those bowl games people actually look forward to but uh there certainly will be 43 of them which is a lot and nebraska is playing in zero of them unfortunately um We've got a little fight breaking out in the YouTube comment section, so that's always fun. Uh, So I'm trying to wade through that and get to actual content here. Uh, One comment that I saw earlier, and I apologize, I don't remember who it's from, was uh, somebody talking about Willie Fritz taking the Houston job. Uh, Tulane head coach Willie Fritz, who is unbelievably good at his job. Um, Just a terrific, terrific football coach. A um, little bit older, as he has taken his sweet time, kind of going through his coaching career. Um, from, but he's been a he's been a head coach for a pretty long time, just not always at the highest of levels. He started off as a head coach at Blinn College, which, if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because that's the JUCO that um, that uh, Cam Newton went to uh, when he transferred from Florida before he ended up at Auburn. Uh, But he's been from Blinn College to Central Missouri to Sam Houston State to Georgia Southern to Tulane, and now he will be in Houston. But he has been a winner every single place that he has gone, Uh, just an outstanding uh, football coach by any measurement, and has turned uh, this Tulane team, which was destitute when he took over, um and he has gotten them last year they were in the top 10 nationally this year they're 11 and 2 overall he will take over at Houston uh that's a really I, I mean that's a terrific hire for Houston um as they start to navigate the Big 12 um some of the other coaching spots that got filled up uh Boise State removed the interim tag from Spencer Danielson um they had Uh, They had fired their coach earlier in the season, and Danielson was their defensive coordinator. Um, They had fired Andy Avalos about a month ago, a few weeks ago. Um, And Danielson led them well in that interim, uh, and they got to the Mountain West Conference title uh, in that one as well. Um, Danielson just 35 years old, uh, so that's a – uh, a nice young hire for Boise State, and as they try to kind of recapture some of their <clears throat> some of their magic from earlier uh, in the from earlier in the the last I guess decade or so. But the there's only two Power Five jobs currently open, and Vanderbilt certainly is Power Five in name only. That's a tough job and a um, a really challenging place to navigate. Um, or excuse me, that's just the offensive coordinator is out at at Vanderbilt. So just Duke, um, just Duke is available uh, for Power Five conferences. I, I apologize, I misread that. Um, but just Duke is available in the Power Five head coaching because Mike Elko left for Texas A and M, and a guy that we were talking about a little bit earlier with when Grace McCall came up was. The um, was Jamie Chadwell, who was previously at um, was previously at Coastal Carolina, currently at Liberty in his first year there. I think Jamie Chadwell is a um, is a really interesting person to look at for that Duke job. Um, he's obviously very familiar with the area, been super successful, runs a unique offense that I, I think would help Duke. Because you don't have to go out and get the same type of guys that everybody else is getting in terms of trying to You know, there's this line in um in Moneyball where Brad Pitt, as Billy Bean is talking about, playing against the Yankees, and if and he basically says, Hey, if we try and do this like everybody else, then or the line is they're in the they're in the scouting room and he goes if we try to play like the Yankees in here we'll lose to the Yankees out there basically saying if we do the same thing everybody else does when we're buying when we're uh, buying players and signing players and scouting players they're better at that than we are cuz they have more money they can always sign the better player cuz they have more money so you have to do things differently in the collection of players in order to beat teams that are better at that traditional method of collecting players than you are so the reason I bring that up with Duke and Jamie Chadwell is Duke is a challenging job Duke is a Duke is a place that it's pretty difficult to consistently get a high level of talent Um, they don't have a ton of tradition they're very academically challenging Um, it's a it's a difficult job to to consistently win at and Uh, David Cutcliffe did a really good job. Mike Elko did a really good job. But I think there's value in maybe not going the full service academy model, but doing something in the sense of being different so that you don't have to go out and try and get a Riley Leonard every year. Riley Leonard being at Duke is kind of an outlier. They usually don't have that level of quarterback at a place like Duke. And they're not going to have him at Duke anymore because he's transferring, probably to Notre Dame it sounds like. So I think Jamie Chadwell would be a really good fit at Duke for those reasons. Um, I think he would give them the opportunity to remain competitive without going like a full Paul Johnson to Georgia Tech triple option uh, model there. He gives you unique looks without – making it unattractive for certain prospects to play there.
0: Well, and, and the football team isn't number one on the totem pole either. I mean, if you think about it that way.
6: Yeah. It's they're a,
0: playing second fiddle.
6: Yeah, it's a basketball school, first and foremost, always will be. Um, there is never in a million years will, uh, will basketball not be the number one priority at Duke. Uh, similar to Indiana, a, a job that another guy that we like, uh, Kurt Signetti, took earlier, uh, in this hiring cycle, so uh, that to me is is the the job opening that I'm most interested uh, at looking at. Um, another guy that I think could get some run that we haven't talked a ton about, and I'll have to ask um, our guy Adam McClintock how what their what their models look like on on this guy. But Rhett Lashley at SMU. Um SMU just won their first conference title since the death penalty. This is the first time they've won a conference title in almost I think it was 1984, almost 40 years. He's only got 2 years as a head coach, both at SMU. He went 7 and 6 last year, 11 and 2 this year. They won their conference title. Um they're moving into the ACC next year, so I'm not sure how appealing Uh, other jobs would necessarily be Um, if I'm not mistaken SMU has a ton of money uh, because they're a a very well-off private school so he's got kind of like Jamie Chadwell he's got a lot of resources for a school that's relatively small um, or smaller in terms of profile and so that's an interesting guy to keep an eye on as well if for some reason You know, there's been some speculation. I don't think this is actually going to happen, although I don't know. Um, There's been some speculation of a guy like Ryan Day maybe wanting to move on. Not that I think that Lashley would get the Ohio State job, but a job like that opening up creates a pretty large domino effect. And so that would be – that would cause some interesting things for a guy like Rhett Lashley or a guy like Jamie Chadwell – where I think some of those higher-profile jobs might be a little more interesting. Although, like I said, SMU heading to the ACC, although the College Football Playoff Committee apparently treating the ACC like a group of five school anyway because it doesn't matter if you go undefeated and win your conference championship if you're Florida State, who, by the way, is a blue blood and, you know, a national power, but that's okay. Uh, They've got treated like a group of five team anyway. So maybe... SMU needs to, will maybe Rhett Lashley at SMU will rethink his place on the totem pole with uh, SMU going to the ACC as well. We'll try and keep up to date on the transfer portal. Uh, lots of stuff. I haven't seen any news about Nebraska yet. Um, don't expect to tell the Nebraska guys to enter the portal, at least not guys of consequence. But we will keep you up to date on that. Coming up next, Sam McEwen from the Omaha world Herald.
3: You're listening to Heard at Sports Radio. Here is the sports editor for the Omaha World Herald Sam McEwen. That's fine. That's fine, That's fine. Sam McEwen. Ah. We're going we're gonna to throw the ball, and you just stand back and throw it where
6: you want to go. You know, and that
3: kind of thing. Sam McEwen. Are you guys going? Um, sure. Now, Sam McEwen.
6: Kicking off hour number two here on Pernat Sports Radio with AM590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. We are with Sam McEwen on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. Sam, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, we are doing all right. It is just me this morning riding solo, so I appreciate you uh, keeping me company here. Um, bet. <laughs> let's start with the college football playoff uh, committee. I know you had some thoughts uh, just kind of going through your Twitter yesterday. Um, seemed like people took your takes maybe a little bit the wrong way in regards to FSU um, and how you thought this process was going to play out. Um, so, so just wanted to give you a minute here to kind of explain in more than 240 characters what you meant by um, by the four best teams and FSU not really being in that group.
1: Yeah, I didn't write them well enough, and so that was the that was my fault. Um, no, I, I here, here's the thing. Uh, you you kind of knew going into the week that you know. Florida State was in trouble, and I I actually posted something on Friday saying you know if, if Washington loses by three, and and they almost did lose by three, uh, and Florida State wins by seven, and Florida State won by ten, who's the number four team? And and, and to be very honest with you, I you know uh, more people pick Florida State, but I I honestly thought that was in play. What I didn't think was in play was was Georgia losing. I, I was surprised by that. Uh, I, I thought Georgia would win by ten or fourteen points, but um, Georgia played poorly mm-hmm. and and doesn't belong in the playoff. And you know what you saw in the you know during the week, and then on Saturday, you, you saw the SEC leaning very hard on this. Uh, you know, Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. Argument about how the SEC champion, regardless of who it is, needs to be in the needs to be in the you know the college football playoff. And you just didn't see any of that from the ACC, and I guess I I just I feel very confident that Florida State believed it was in, um, you know, after uh, if they won, and that not only that they would have been the number three seed if they won and another team in front of them lost, and so um, I thought what 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 needed to have happened what Florida State needed to understand is their AD and their president and their head coach and the ACC needed to, to needed to really lobby. Uh, to be in, uh, and and to do that uh, on national TV to to pre shame <laughs> the committee, and and uh, and to be very vociferous and strong about that statement. Um, ESPN's college football reporter doesn't matter who it is, but their college football playoff reporter predicted that Florida State on Saturday night, after all the games were over, would finish sixth. And I posted that I and what I what I thought in that moment is there's no way ESPN would let this reporter go on here and say that if they didn't feel really confident mm-hmm. that, um, that Florida state wasn't going to make it. It's just wouldn't let it happen because just, it, it would be such a, it would be such an incorrect prediction sure, um, to predict somebody sixth and then finish fourth or third. I'm like, there's just no way. And so I'm like, Florida state's in real trouble. And they were, they, they didn't make it. I didn't think they would make it. And, as a result, you know they got really upset on on uh, on Sunday, and it was too late. You got to say all the you got to say all the hard things before the votes are made. Scott Frost did that back in '98 after the Orange Bowl. You got to do it right away. You you can't you can't wait for people to decide and then be mad. Um, this thing, unfortunately, is a human decision. There's virtually no metrics or. Firm or fast process; they change the rankings all the time for very, you know, squishy reasons, you know, narrative reasons. So you have to know going into it: hey, we're not going to make this thing unless we make a very strong case uh, to the people in that room who are listening, and and make sure that they know that that if we don't get in, we're gonna we're gonna raise a lot of heck. And Florida State can do that after the fact, but it, it just doesn't it doesn't carry the same weight. And so, do I think Florida State should have made it? Yes, I do. Alabama didn't deserve to make it in 2017, and Alabama doesn't deserve to make it now. Um, the Alabama that beat Georgia is the same Alabama that should have lost to Auburn.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Alabama's not been that good this year. They just haven't been. And Florida State's been just as good. And they have no losses. So, yes. The other thing I'll say is, and this is also true, so two things can be true at once. Florida State belongs in the playoffs, but Alabama will be a much more exciting playoff matchup for Michigan. And I think Michigan will win that game, but everybody knows that at 4 o'clock on whatever, January 1st, we're all sitting there and the Rose Bowl comes on. Your blood's going to get pumping more for Alabama than it is Florida State. It just is. Everybody's gonna. You're gonna get five million more viewers as a result. That's what Alabama and Michigan will do to each other. Saban against Harbaugh. That whole thing. It's gonna be a big deal. And I don't know that the playoff committee was thinking about that. But two things can be true at once, and that's true. Florida State belonged in. Alabama is the more, you know, interesting choice in terms of television. That's you know, those those are both true, but. No, I think Florida State should have been in the playoff, but uh, you know the committee doesn't have to do that. And guess what? After this year, they don't have to. They don't have to be controversial anymore. They can just they can just put over you know they can put whatever they want in, and
6: in the end. Sam, so, some really interesting points in there. And, and first, I guess I just want to ask: like, this is a bad way to decide who makes the playoff, right? Like, if 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 the if the who makes it in and who doesn't makes it in can be decided by basically campaigning, like that's not the best way to decide, right? Like, is that is that fair?
4: Well,
1: I mean, it, it's not. It's not the. It's not the NFL, or the, it's not professional sports. It's collegiate sports is trickier because there's more teens. And you know they all kind of play by different rules. And one day, if there's a college football super league, then you know maybe they'll have rules like the NFL. In the NCAA basketball tournament, there's so many teams; you got to win so many games that nobody's going to get too upset. You know, the the team that's left out is the 60-15. You know, number one seed versus number two seed. You know what? You got to win five. Ga- you got to win four games just to get to the you got to win 3 games just to get to the elite 8 anyway. You know, the most controversial thing that I think's ever happened in the NCAA tournament in recent years is the year that they made Kentucky and Massachusetts face each other in the final 4 instead of the final game because they were busy screwing around with regions and other things. And they they fixed that where, you know, if and they fixed it. And so, you know, the, the national title game isn't in the final 4, it's in the final game. So that was probably the worst thing that happened and they fixed it. Um, although again, that would if that happened today, that that'd feel pretty darn egregious, uh, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, no, it's not a perfect way. Um, that'll change a little bit when it goes to twelve teams. Uh, there, but it, but it's been imperfect from the very beginning. Like the thing was better when it was two. No people don't like hearing that, but it was better when it was two. It was if it were two, we would know the two. And nobody would be saying, "Well, now Florida State belongs in over
7: Washington." Nobody be saying, "Sure,
1: yeah, it. Um, it was better when it was two. It, it was clear, and it 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 created less, you know, anger and frustration, and and all these other things. It just it made for better bowl matchups. Um, you know, one thing that's going to continue during the CFP is we're going to have to drag a team like Liberty into this into this thing, and that's silly. That's silly." Um, the day when it gets to a college football super league is, is going to be a better day because now, you know, now nobody really cares. Liberty's probably going to play Oregon. They might even beat Oregon. Oregon doesn't care. But you can know, get in a playoff setting and those things are going to start ending up, you know, 55-3. to 3. It's going to get real ugly with those group of five teams because they won't stand a chance. They they won't. And so, you know, there's, there's all these compromises that are built into the thing and um, it's still imperfect, but it'll be better, you know. Next year, it'll and nobody will say, "Well, Florida State, you know, Florida State will be the five seed." Nobody will care. Uh, they'll complain a little bit, but they'll have an opportunity to prove it. It'll be Florida State against Liberty. Oh boy, you know, everybody <laughs> will be fine. So, it, you know, and then they'll get to play Alabama in a bowl game, and then they can prove that they're better than Alabama. In these circumstances, they don't get to prove that. Um, you know it's 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 un, it's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, campaigning isn't the answer, but that's not. I mean, that's just part of how how it's done. What, why is the SEC commissioner using Sesame Street? Because he knows that somewhere in there they need to go and make a rhetorical argument. The ACC is just silent because they. I think the ACC thought if we win, if Florida State wins, they're in. And 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 guess what? If Georgia beats Alabama. Right, Florida State would have stayed ahead of Texas. The only reason that—and remember, mm-hmm. Florida State was ahead of Texas last week. Florida State had a backup quarterback last week. The only reason that Texas jumped Florida State was because Alabama had to jump Florida State to put an SEC team in, and Texas beat Alabama.
2: Well, that's so, that's, that's, thats the problem the, right the there, right? It
1: happened. It was all about the SEC. It had nothing to do with Texas. Texas was tethered to Alabama because they beat Alabama. If Georgia beats Alabama, then Florida State is in the college football playoff, regardless of what Texas
6: And And that's the problem right there, right? Is that they, they left Florida State ahead of those two teams even after the backup quarterback situation was clear, right? Like, to me, that's the biggest thing. Like, at they dropped Florida State last week and be like, hey, we don't think this is the same thing without Jordan Travis, I don't think we're having this same conversation today because that sort of makes sense. What I think made less sense is, hey, Florida State continued to win not only with a backup, but also a third string, had a better win than Texas, and then fell behind them at that point. Like, I think that's the part that gets frustrating with how the committee operated on this one, right? Like, if there was objective metrics, even like a net rating like the basketball system uses, or even like a uh, a, a BCS-esque portion of the rating... I think that would have helped quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, I do. But I, you know, they've done that many times. I mean, Ohio State was number one in the
1: playoff in 2019 until they mysteriously switched. You know, right before the title, you know, right before the playoff, mm-hmm. LSU moves to number one because their defense got better. I mean, come on, it's just this has happened so many times. Um you know it, it it honestly it happened the first year and that was kind of the big 12 fall when they wouldn't declare TCO the the big 12 champion because they didn't you know they're they're busy looking at each other and they don't know what to do and so you know they declare a tie and then you know the committee Barry Alvarez and Tom Osborne were part of it mm-hmm. well like, well you didn't say who the champion was so Ohio State and Ohio State wins the national title so it. It justifies it, but, you know, that was a darn good TCU team that got left out. Um, Florida State was undefeated that year and got in, and then they get crushed by Oregon in the, in the Rose Bowl. And so, you know, it, it's been there from the very, kind of from the start. Penn State didn't make it that one year, and Ohio State did, even though Penn State beat Ohio State. Alabama didn't beat anybody in 2017, didn't even win their division. You know, they go to the playoff, and then they win it. You know again, you can do this all day with Georgia and Alabama that they they, they they their power ratings suggest they will win you know a game or whatever you want to call it. You can put them in every single year if that's what you want to do. You can do the same with Clemson. you know, Florida State has the misfortune of Clemson having a bad year. yeah you know, they can control Clemson. And so you know it's it, it's those are those are those are hard things. I will say this. I didn't listen to a ton of the rhetoric yesterday from the CFP. Leader. I don't was because Florida State's response was related to, pre, you know, results on the field over some predicted, you know, measurement of winning and losing. And I was like, they didn't actually say that during their press conference or their interview that, well, we just don't think Florida State would beat Michigan. I don't think they didn't say
6: that. Not that I heard. Um, I think it was more them kind of extrapolating. Some of the things that that the playoff committee did say, basically, I I think they said something about, like, competitiveness or or something to that extent, um, if I'm remembering right right here. And so I think they – I think Florida State extrapolated to say, oh, well, you don't think that we could have beat Michigan, so you left us out, basically, is is how they took it.
1: Right, right. So, you know, I mean, there's – again, there's a lot of different ways to parse it out. It's going to go to 12. Who was better than 4? 12 will be better than 4. Four was was too small. It was it just it kept teams out, and but it also but it kept like you know two or three teams out that were no better or worse than the fourth, right? And two was about perfect because you could usually pick the two best teams year after year. Most so, years, yeah, those yeah. are the two best teams. Yeah, but, most you know, that years. That wasn't that hard. And and for whatever you know they wanted to move it to four, there's you know the media wanted that eventually got it to 4 and then you know the, the Big 10 and other leagues fought expansion and now we're finally getting to expansion so so here we go and it's going to be a lot of fun next year we'll the conversations we will be having um are you know which teams are on the fringe of 12 and that'll be a heck of a lot of fun cuz there's a lot of teams that will be in contention for 12 at the start of November and and we'll see we'll see how it all shakes out
6: yeah, ironically, I think eight's probably the right number, but you know we just skipped right over that one. Um, we did, <laughs> which is which is about on par for college football if we're being honest. Um, right. Let's uh, change gears here to college basketball. Obviously, Nebraska and Creighton uh, had their big matchup yesterday. Creighton wins eighty-nine to sixty. As you're watching that one and seeing it play out, um, obviously it was. Much more competitive at the start of the game. I think down to the eight nine minute mark, it was basically back and forth, a, a basically a one point game either way. Um, and then Creighton goes on a little run to end the half. And then you had that very strange sequence to end the half, where Creighton ends up shooting five consecutive free throws on a foul that I thought was a foul on Stephen Ashworth. It's not something that gets yes, called all the time. Of course, it was. It's not something that gets called all the time in that situation, but it was a pretty clear foul. Um, And then you had the technical on Tominaga uh, for throwing the ball at the stanchion. How much did you think that impacted the way the second half played out?
1: A little, but not that much. You know, uh, Nebraska doesn't have time to review this game. They they really don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got Minnesota coming up and then Michigan State. And by golly, they can win them both. And they can lose them both, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And losing both would be like a punch to the gut. Winning both would be like, all right, everybody, let's look around at each other. We get, we let's go. Um, so they don't have time to review this game. Um, and maybe that that was by design, and maybe that's just a perfect a perfect thing for it. Mm-hmm. What I'll say is, yeah, the, the game was a one point game with whatever nine minutes to go. But everything about that game, the way Nebraska played it, the way Creighton played it, favored Creighton. Um, you ain't going to get Casey Somanaga scoring 32 points on runners and cutters to the lane. <laughs> and that's just not happening. <laughs> and so, you know, I think mean, everything about that game favored crazy. The pace, Nebraska coming down and jacking up threes, you know, six seconds into the shot clock. I'm like, you got to play this game like Washington played Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. You need to hold on to the ball. You need to slow the pace down. You cannot, you can't give that team, you know, run out after run out opportunity. It's Creighton. Nobody does that better than Creighton. Mm -hmm. At this point in college basketball, maybe Gonzaga does. But there aren't many teams that do it better than Creighton. And so it was like, are you you like a practice team for us? (laughs) what What are you doing? And so you got a point guard, and some of this is on Lawrence. Yeah. You have a point guard that controls the basketball game and gets things in half court, and you got to go tell Casey. And remember, Casey didn't play much in the in the game last year. You got to go tell Casey, hey, this isn't the day. We're not playing the NBA today. We we have to find a way to beat this team with our team, and that means you don't you don't do what you like to do. You have to play within the construct of the offense that you're in, and that means you know. You can, you can pat yourself on the back for having 37 points at halftime, but the F team's going to have 52, mm. and so Nebraska. I, I just don't think Nebraska played the kind of game that they needed to play to win the game. They needed to play the way they played last year, and they didn't. And then I also felt like, especially in the second half, you know, I think Nebraska uh, just just didn't play, just didn't play very well. You know, Creighton got cold. I you know Creighton. Had shooting team. They did, you know, Creighton was not hitting much in the second half, and Nebraska just didn't. They just didn't fight quite hard enough on the boards, and they, again, you know, if if, if you watch the game on TV, you know, I thought Nick Ba did a real nice job of, of kind of laying out the things that surprised him, and one of those things being that Baylor Shireman was able to cover Rink Math a lot of the game, and you know, that means that Math didn't get the ball in. Time. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the challenges with the the versatility and the number of guys that they play is making sure everybody on the floor knows who the hell's supposed to get the basketball. <laughs> and if that's Rink Mask, then that's Rink Mask. Now, I'm not saying the Rink's the best player. You know, I, I we had a really robust discussion last week before the rule presser uh, of who Nebraska basketball's best player is. One guy said Bryce Williams. One guy said Matt. You know, one guy said Casey. You know. Kay is a wonderful player. Hard to hard to build a team or like how hard to build a concept around him. Yeah. Um you know, he, he goes and gets his twenty, but that can't be your offensive identity. He's gotta get his shots within the realm of the offense. And um you know, I don't know what they're gonna do. You know, they got a big game Wednesday night against a team they don't match up well with. Minnesota, I know Nebraska won two of three from Minnesota last year, but they darn near could have lost all three of them. And Minnesota's got a guy, and Dawson Garcia that Nebraska does not know how to cover, or they did not last year. So maybe mm-hmm. they do this. Maybe Rinkmask can take in or Alec or somebody. But Minnesota's a challenge for Nebraska, and so they got to go. They got to go play that game, and they got to go win it. And every single game they played against Minnesota has been kind of high scoring, and that doesn't favor Nebraska. So we'll see what happens. But that's what I thought coming out of the game. As I'm like. You know, this is this is way Creighton wants to play. And the only difference is Iowa made a bunch of those shots and lost. And Nebraska did make a bunch of those shots and lost by more than Iowa did. <laughs> but if Iowa had missed those shots, it would have been the same result. Yeah. Like Iowa but that's how Iowa wants to play. I yeah. get it. And so that's Iowa's style. But you're not gonna beat Creighton doing that. The teams that beat Creighton doing that, and Coltburn is also healthy, are San Diego State and Colorado State. They slow the ball. they slow the game down. That make each possession count. If you give Creighton a ton of possessions, which Nebraska did, especially in the first ten minutes of the game when Creighton wasn't making many shots, Creighton's going to beat you. They're going to get they're going to get deep enough into their shot bag. They're going start making them, and that's and the, so I just thought it was kind of a failure on a lot of fronts. I was kind of surprised that Nebraska played the way it did.
6: Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Sam, really good stuff today. Appreciate you uh, keeping me some company this morning, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Take care. That's Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. We appreciate Sam's time as always. Uh, really good stuff there. We'll talk more about Creighton and Nebraska uh, at the bottom of the, ao- uh, bottom of the show. Excuse me, as we uh, catch up with our own Jacob Padilla from Out Sports. A uh, little bit of, I-, I guess, breaking news as breaking as any of this uh, stuff is with the transfer portal. Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, who had a very good year, uh, leaving. Oklahoma um, it appears he uh, yeah he is in the transfer portal and will be ready to play somewhere else next year. Uh, want to remind you, that. Sam came to us on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. Warhorse Sportsbook. You can place your bets in person in Omaha at Horsemans Park. For them. you're listening the to Hurt at Sports Radio. There's a lot of, lot of good teams out there. Oregon um, State event, certainly bets, a good team, and they go undefeated bets, in their league. And uh, as well, uh, you can it's do that Some good team in had in to get left at out, the but I really think that our
7: team earned the right
6: to be here. Best place in brackets. Place your bets at Warhorse Sportsbook. No bets, no glory. Coming up next, David Betting. We're halfway through the show here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula riding solo with you this morning from the Herd Out Sports Bar and Grill, the H&H Chevrolet stage. We are on AM 590 ESPN, Omaha ESPN Tri-Cities. Real quick before we get to DB, we need to talk about our Husker fans that are on your Christmas shopping list. Santa is making his list, checking it twice. You need to make it a little bit easier on our guy, Santa Claus. He's going to Alumni Hall. Alumni Hall is your one-stop shop to get all things Huskers. Gifts for him, gifts for her, gifts for the kids. Even the dog, Alumni Hall, has you covered. Two great locations in Lincoln downtown on P Street, also in South Point Pavilion. Or if you're like me, you like to do your shopping online, they have you covered at alumnihall.com. This week, get 20% off your Alumni Hall purchase with code UNLHOLIDAY. That's all one word, UNLHOLIDAY. No spaces, that's 20% off. So get your shopping done, head to Alumni Hall, use your code UNLHOLIDAY to save some money on all your Husker gear and gifts. A guy that uh, maybe I should maybe I need to buy DB some Christmas gifts from Alumni Hawks. he never wears any Husker gear. DB, well,
4: I, I turned over a new leaf. I've I've been I've been collecting it.
6: Are you uh, are you repping the brand now? You're finally on board.
4: Yeah, yeah. So like, what happened?
6: Two days and my kid committed. <laughs> <laughs> good reason. Good reason. So you're switching out your so West like, Side gear for Nebraska gear some of the days? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah,
4: uh, 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 like two <laughs> days in a row, uh, um, I wore some pretty slick combos, so I feel pretty good, man. I, one of the uh, one of the coaches was was pretty shocked. He's like, "What? Rumor has it you don't wear Nebraska gear." And I said, "Oh." You know, that's just a rumor. I, I you know, you, since you guys have been in town the last year, I've, I've kind of turned. up. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I do. I wear it now. I, I, uh, I like I, it. I've got a couple of. I've got a couple of new snazzy white quarter zips. I got. Uh, I got another black hoodie. I mean, it. Uh, it's. It's safe now. It's safe. I, oh, it's weird because, <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> I don't mind. Like it's fine, right? Cause, but I'm not a. So it's. This sounds crazy, you know. Like I'm not. I don't approach Nebraska like a fan. Right. Right. Like, like. But now this may. Ch- it will. This will challenge me a little bit. Like, will I be a fan? Ah. See. I, don't know. I you, mean, I love them, right? You like
6: that's that. You, that's you hate they, that word. You hate that. Like you hate the word fan when describing how you feel about Nebraska. But let's, let's, let's put some evidence on the table here. I'm going to do better than the college football playoff committee here, and I'm going to use evidence. Um, so, wow. <laughs> so let's see. You, you went to Nebraska, right? Ever, people know that about you, Correct. I think. Uh, so there's, there's, there's one in the fan category. You're an alum. Uh, number two, do you actively root for Nebraska to do well? Correct. You, you said it yourself, you love the university.
4: Correct.
6: Your son will be playing football there. I hope so. As, as far as we know. Uh, well,
4: he's got a sign. <laughs> I hope he plays at some point.
6: Okay, okay. Your son <laughs> will be on the football team at Nebraska. Whether <laughs> he plays correct. or not is, is still TBD. <laughs> uh yeah, Correct. So, I mean, all things are pointing to FanDB. I don't know what to tell you.
4: Yeah. I mean, I get it. I, I'm just uh, – Although... You
6: kick back against the, the typical fan mentality. That's your, that's yeah, your big although, bugaboo.
4: full, full disclosure, when, when Iowa had that pick and then ripped off the long run, I'm not kidding you, I kind of looked out the press box window to see how far of a drop it was. I don't really like joking about stuff like <laughs> that, but I was like, is anybody going to catch me? Like, I was so miserable...
6: Yeah, that's, um, some felt, be- that's some fan. That's some
4: like fan behavior. <laughs> yeah, fe- I felt like a fan. I
6: you was know, like sick to my stomach. Happened. I was nauseous when it happened.
4: When I but when I went back and assessed it, I was like, "Well, Fudge, a real fan wouldn't say what I'm about to say, right? Like, I wouldn't mind. It wouldn't bother me one bit playing like Iowa. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it, I I could get up. I could look at myself every day in the mirror and be like, you know what? I'm not that good-looking anyway. I could, I don't mind winning ugly as long as I could win.
6: So you're you know saying you're, o- you're okay if women like you for your personality? Is that? <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. You know, oh, God, he's such a nice guy.
6: He's got a great uh, sense of humor.
4: <laughs> you know, I'd love to have the stones to trot out a walk-on kicker for a game winner. Dude, or, how
6: about that? That is crazy.
4: You know, or... I don't know, I mean, I there's just lots of things that my personality would embrace about being Iowa. So I, I, that that's not a typical fan take, but I like winning, right. I, I said this yesterday. I don't I'm, I, was, I was bothered by the lack of consistency with um, the, or the transparency of the committee. And I said, you know what, I'll never talk about bad about teams like Florida State or Iowa because they you know they win. And it, they don't apologize for the way it looks. Mm-hmm. You know, the great misnomer was, <laughs> you know, in 94, we were like this well-oiled juggernaut.
6: No, I mean, we no. were kind of ugly. That was 95. 94 was a little, <laughs> little iowa E. if we're being honest here. Yeah, it was kind of ugly. I remember a, a K-State third-string quarterback situation, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like, I it, mean, it was just, <laughs> it was clunky. It was messy. It was... Yeah, trailing at the
4: half against Wyoming at home, and so I, I learned to get over aesthetics a long, long, long time ago. So I, I mean, those parts of, of like the the fan in me, like they aren't typical. They're they're probably atypical.
6: So you're you're feeling for Florida State a little bit this morning because they found a way to win in unfavorable circumstances, and I mean, kind of were punished for it, right? Um, yeah,
4: I, I just – so I woke up yesterday, and I don't even know why I put anything on social media that was remotely going to spark this because my <laughs> timeline for the next two hours was incredible. But I start out with two basic things. I, I, I shouldn't have said it out loud, but I'm, you know, whatever. I said I'll be curious to see what consistency is shown with the team selections because – I figured everybody always talks about deserving versus best,
6: mm-hmm.
4: but even best was gray. So I didn't yes. love that if it was going to be skewed towards that. So I felt like, okay, let's just change deserving to one when it matters. Yeah. Like, is that simple enough? Cause that takes, well, we didn't have this quarterback or they weren't playing well then or they're playing better now. That, that that takes all of that out of there. So then I felt like, okay, if we change deserving to just one when it mattered,
6: then I – you know, Florida State's probably got to be in. Well, you look at it, right, because when it matters – like Alabama goes into that Texas game knowing like, hey – if we win this, we're in really good shape to make the college football playoff. Like, they know that yeah. the same way that they know when they go into Georgia, like, hey, we got to go win this game to be in the college football playoff. The same way Florida State, yeah. by the way, went and played LSU on a neutral field and said, hey, we got to win this one week one right out the gate to have a chance to do this thing we want to do. Yeah,
4: they're, weren't, weren't they 2-0 and oh against the conference?
6: They were 2-0 and oh against the SEC. LSU, who they boat raced, by the way, and... Florida who didn't end up being very good. Uh, but still the, the SEC would, would tell me that even they're not very good teams are good, because that's what I heard. One of these yeah. things is not like so, the other, right?
4: Yeah, so I don't want like and first of all, don't let anybody shame you for being for people being upset about the college football playoffs. I, I, I love the I love the guys and gals that kind of get on their soapbox and are like, This is what happens and you know, just taxes and being mad about who's in the playoffs, that doesn't make it any less valid, okay? Yeah. So don't, 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 don't be one of those guys that's too cool to, like, try to want betterment for the sport. Because when you go to 12, they had a chance to establish at least some sort of baseline for what they were looking for. But they still introduced the measure of eye tests, and rationalizing. So I I cringe when I hear people use the term best because a lot of times that's subjective. Yeah. So right? It's always subjective. So best is always so when subjective. You get, now, occasionally you'll be like, you'll get people to agree, okay, one or two teams says the best. You start getting the 12, I was like, ah, you had a chance. <laughs> you had a chance. <laughs>
6: All right, DB, we're going to have a chance to continue catching up with you here after the break we appreciate you sticking with us we will get to more of db here on heard at sports radio on am 590 espn Omaha, espn tri-cities
0: <laughs>
6: wrapping up hour number two here on a monday on heard at sports radio i'm ravi lula live on AM590 ESPN, Omaha ESPN, Tri-Cities. Reminder, game preparation and repetition predicts success and winning. Drivers and vehicle passengers who always use their seatbelts will increase their survival chances if a crash should happen. Make it click from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. I know a guy that believes in preparation and repetition, and he's joining me now back on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline. It is Old DB. Uh, Close your ears for a second. That's Damon Benning. Uh, I know you don't like to hear your name out loud, so I was trying to help you out there. But, DB, what's going on, bud? (laughs)
4: Oh, man. <laughs> so, 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 some things haven't changed. It's all good. All good in the neighborhood.
6: Um, so we were talking about the uh, the college football playoff, obviously, before uh, the break there. And uh, so my my big issue here, right, because if you, if you want to penalize Florida State for the quarterback thing, I disagree, but I sort of get it. Shouldn't they have moved them down last week?
4: Well, that's one thing they could have done. You also could have some conviction. Uh, listen, we just talked about you kind of alluded to the SEC here a little bit with S, with with LSU and and uh, uh, Florida, right? The, and we we go about this every single year. Yes, the top two, three teams in the SEC are typically fantastic. The, the depth of the conference is not anything like it's wildly overrated. I'm, I'm over, I'm overwhelmed with it, yeah. and and, as, and just look at the top seven or eight other teams that weren't in the SEC's record against the SEC. So this year, so it's like okay. So your other alternative was is to not buy into the narrative. Could you really have a college football playoff without the SEC champ? Like I don't know. Is that really a thing? Is that really a thing where it's somehow written, well, it's the SEs. How about we just look at the quality of play? Because do you know what I heard yesterday? I heard this all morning. I thought it was hilarious. I heard Bama's argument being made at the fact that they beat Georgia. But in the very same vein – I heard that Georgia was in Georgia all year long and kind of stumbled their way along. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I was like, which is it? That's why you can't get into the best thing, because it's fairly subjective, right? Alabama just won by a miracle fourth down. But you know what they said? Oh, it was a rivalry game. All bets are off. Yet
6: Found we a way to win
4: we use the same criteria against Georgia when they we said they sleptwalk against Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, are we even remotely listening to ourselves? So my thing was, the only way to take that out of it is to change deserving to, they won when it counted, right? All things being equal. All things being equal. And you don't Value conference strength. If you don't assume that the Big Twelve is some little brother to the SEC, Texas beat Bama, mm-hmm. so that puts that puts Texas ahead of Bama, right? Mm-hmm. Like end of discussion. Yeah, like Texas ahead of. Now where it got gray, obviously, was with Bama and FSU and George. I don't even know about Georgia, but I did find it interesting. Because I'm not making a case for Georgia, I'm making a case for consistency. So if you felt like Georgia was kind of the validation, then how are they the six? Yeah. Because y- you you felt bad enough to apologize to Norville. I always love when people are like, "Hey, you know, I my heart goes out to and." You know, or that was a bad call, or they're going to issue an apology. No, you still lost. Like you didn't get the spoils of being a victor. So I, I don't want to hear the the backpats and we feel bad. And I'm like, you think Norvell cares? I mean, did you not see his statement? Oh,
6: well, I I saw so it. You you you
4: apologize to FSU. You say they're worthy, and you put them ahead of Georgia as the five. You talk about like lack of consistency in the messaging, they're not good enough because you don't value their quarterback play to to go undefeated, but you make them the five ahead of Georgia, who you use to validate Bama because they were the SEC
6: champ. That
4: part did like I was like, Wow, that that uh somebody's gonna have to explain that one to me. You know what I mean?
6: Yeah, so, there, there was some pretty aggressive mental gymnastics there to try. And And here's, here's what I feel like happened. And, and you tell me if I'm well, crazy. Well, it's only
4: going to get worse. That's why I wanted them that, – that's why I wanted – I was curious to see would they zero in on the competitiveness of, of when you played a team. Because you know what it could actually – what it could have done? It could have encouraged tougher scheduling.
6: Yeah, you you had
4: you had a chance to really make some statements yesterday with the committee, and I just felt like it kind of got away from them. Now we'll be back to when it's twelve; it'll be best versus most deserving, and we'll do it all over again, and we'll argue from eight through twelve. Right? Like that's that's what's going to happen next year.
6: Yeah. So what I thought, what I thought happened with the committee was they probably felt like Bama was better than Texas. But they didn't feel like they could put Bama in since Texas beat them, which I would've... I
4: don't know. Do you look at Texas? Do you look at Bama and think they're better than
6: Texas? I don't necessarily, but I, I don't. I think that's what the committee was thinking. I think they looked at the two teams and thought, hey, we think Bama's better than Texas. Which, by the way, is why the lack of criteria is really, really stupid because you're just kind of eyeballing it and you don't really have any sort of. Hard metrics to base it on, except for, you know, wins and losses, which they apparently ignored anyway.
4: Um Well I listen, and you're and you're talking to a guy that only got one of the four playoff teams right when he started the season, right? That I picked Michigan. Yeah. But I did but I did get my dark horse right, and that was Texas. I like Texas all year because of their physicality. Yeah. And that roster is ultra talented. Now the team that I think People are sleeping on. That's really good. Is Washington?
6: Yeah. Like, because they're way more physical thought, than or, they I get credit for.
4: Oregon would physically be able to kind of get after Washington.
6: Washington. They could. Washington's way more physical than they get credit for.
4: Oh, hey, and, and that, and so this is. So I guess at the end of the day, I I love the fact that both games. Um, you know, it's four and a half less four and a half or less spreads. That's new and refreshing, mm-hmm. right? so we we figure the semifinals and finals could be tight. I like that. What I don't like is now we've just introduced more debate for next year by adding more teams. i and, and I keep in mind, you're talking to somebody that was always a fan of before you expand, you need to set what the prerequisites are for the guest list. Mm-hmm. Don't just invite more people. We right, had it's an
6: extensive arguments it's a, about this.
4: Right? If it's an exclusive party. <laughs> yeah. If it's an exclusive party. What's the dress code? Bet, Tell me the, what's dress, the code? dress code. the dress code? Yeah. I just don't want more people to have fun. The SEC
6: and, gets to show up in jeans and everybody else has to show up in black tie. That's basically. And I mean,
4: everybody laughed at me. Oh, Yo, you got to expand. You got. I was like, eh, you better get some uniformity first. This will be even worse next year because. We still haven't established the fact that we hold one conference in significantly higher regard than any other, and so they, they just operate under different rules.
6: For no particular and, reason, by the way. I mean, really.
4: But, but, I, but I, it would have been nice, like, if FSU had a really good relationship with their conference and their commissioner because I think ultimately that didn't do them any favors. Um, Hey, you know we're open for business, and but you can't. Pl- I remember those. We don't yeah. forget that. Like, yeah,
6: I know. I know.
4: They're exploring ways to get out of the conference. So and
6: Jim's like, "All right, I'm not helping you out then, bud."
4: Yeah, and I don't, and I don't think he did.
6: But that's worse for his did. conference. Still, you know, like it's still bad for it. Like it's, 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 you know, biting your nose to spite your face, right? Like it's.
4: Yeah. Well, 100 percent that's but if you're looking for criteria i mean you wanted a really bold move you should have like don't have michigan in because you feel like they cheated and if you don't feel like it was that big of an advantage they sure did go to great lengths right
6: yeah like they 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 spent a lot of time and effort to do this thing that apparently didn't give them that much of an advantage I,
4: I, i I just think they sent a lot of mixed messages yesterday. That's only going to to convolute matters um, next year for twelve. Uh, that's that's bef- gonna be a disaster.
6: We got about a minute left here, DB, before we let you go. Is there any part of you, as someone who was relatively close to three peating in college football, yeah. was there any part of you that was? a little pleased that george is not going to get that opportunity
4: no you know i didn't really look i never because i was if that. i'm being I, honest I, not, not to go out nick bonacani on guys but i was not popping champagne or <laughs> um cigars i just you know i i want to be entertained for a competitiveness standpoint so sure i do i did feel like georgia was one of the the top four best teams in the country they just lost at the wrong time that's hard to explain to georgia yeah. because i think they did what the, is the hardest thing to do in sports longevity and consistency over time they became a victim of their own being their own benchmark yeah and i don't think that's anything that they should apologize for so i mean it's tough but it happens I, i'm just glad we get close games
6: that's good old Damon Benning. DB, we appreciate uh, you hanging out this morning, spending a little time with me, keeping me company while uh, uh, while our guy Andrew is getting a little bit better, feeling a little bit better. So uh, thank you, and well, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure.
0: All right, air
4: dapping and hopefully Andrew feels better.
6: All right, buddy, tell the family hi for me. You got it. That's our guy DB here on Herd Sports Radio. Coming up next, Ryan Fowler from Bleacher Report. We've got more football here on Herd Sports Radio.
4: Learn more at marines.com.
3: Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio.
6: I want to say this. I mean, you talk about some of the, uh, it's a galvanized team. Uh, and you know, some may think it's galvanized by adversity. It's not. It's galvanized by choice.
5: This has been a heck of a journey for us, uh, and so to, to earn a to earn a seat at the table, to, to, to be in the to be in this tournament uh, is one that uh, you know we're
6: uh, we're humbled by, but excited for as well. Kicking off hour number three here on Herd Out Sports Radio, I'm Ravi Lula. We're on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and hour number three is on KFOR in Lincoln. If you're still trying to get up and ready to go this morning, make sure you get out to the beanery to put a little pep in your step for great Omaha area locations, Gretna Papillion, Ashland, and 168th and Giles. They roast their own coffee, locally owned and operated. They've got hot, nice coffee, frozen specialty drinks, some breakfast sandwiches, muffins, even gluten-free and vegan scones the beanery serving people coffee joining us now on the war horse sportsbook hotline is ryan fowler he covers the nfl and college football for bleacher report ryan how are you this morning i'm good appreciate you guys having me on absolutely we appreciate you joining us uh let's start with the nfl i've been talking college football for about two hours nonstop here so Let's start with the NFL. Can you put into context for me what you saw last night in that, or la- yesterday afternoon, I should say, in that 49ers-Eagles game? And uh, how, like, how impressive was that without, I, I guess, putting too much stock into just one regular season game?
5: Yeah, I think you absolutely have to put some stock into it, right? I think the 49ers on the road wanted to absolutely send a message to Philadelphia. All we've heard all year long is how good Philadelphia is, how good Jalen Hurts has played, the push-push, everything along those lines. <laughs> it's been all Philadelphia, right? And they go into that game and, and beat them by 20-plus in a hostile environment that is Lincoln Financial Field. Brock Purdy was efficient. The defensive line got after Jalen Hurts, made things tough. That, that, that third level, that Niners defense, people forget that they lost Talanoa hafunga who was a major piece mm-hmm. to that defense. They lost Ray Greenlaw with that incident with the security guard in mm-hmm. that first half. So that, the Niners seem to go into that environment. Now, again, like you said, you, you have to hold weight towards that, but there's never been a Super Bowl that's been won in December. So when we move forward into these next few months and we may see a rematch of these teams moving forward, it's going to be a heck of a battle because I think now this is one of the more – Renewed NFC rivalries that we're going to see for the next five, ten years potentially.
6: I know one of the big storylines yesterday coming out of this game, especially from the Forty niner side, was, "Hey, we told you if we had a quarterback, the NFC Championship game would have gone a lot differently." Do you buy into that?
5: Um, I, I just I look at Kyle Shanahan's system, and, and I think you could throw maybe one of the best high school quarterbacks in the league. <laughs> I'm kidding, but if you could, the, the efficiency that Brock Purdy operate within this offense, whether they want to work you horizontally or whether they want to pick you apart vertically in the shallow areas or take deep shots to guys like Brandon Ayuk, or we saw last night with a guy like Jawan Jennings and beating guys in the open field. They can beat you in a multiplicity of ways. And when you got a guy like Christian McCaffrey running behind an offensive line like that has Trent Williams at left tackle, one of the best to ever do it in the, in the mm-hmm. sport of football, they can just beat you in so many different ways. And when you look at this Philadelphia defensive front, they have the big boys up front that they want to scheme off of. But then you got the back end to where they've been, in my opinion, they need to be more creative, specifically with their safety. You drafted Sidney Brown out of Illinois, and I'm not seeing him in the box or playing that multi-level defender that he did at Illinois. And that's where they ran into the trouble yesterday with George Kittle. But with Brock with Purdy running this offense, only 19 completions, four of them went for touchdowns. So don't ask him to play hero ball. He's just being efficient.
6: Uh, We'll move on after this one. But the 49ers are kind of playing with an embarrassment of riches on that defensive line. Um, How, I guess how much of a factor do you think that will be in the postseason where we've seen teams, if they can get pressure with four, that might be all it takes to make a run to the Super Bowl?
5: Yeah, I think it's extremely important. And Nick Bosa, Chase Young, They weren't the big-time names that were productive yesterday. There's pressures there. I didn't see Chase a lot in that second half as their sparkly new addition at the deadline, but it really was Javon Kinlaw Mm -hmm. in the middle of that defense. And what makes that unit so special up front is what they allow the linebackers when Fred Warner and both Drake Greenlaw are on the field together, as, in my opinion, the best linebacker duo in all of football. So if you can get home with four and drop seven consistently in coverage in the NFL today, where they just want to sling around 40, 45 times, it just makes life easier on everybody at every single level.
6: We're talking with Ryan, Ryan Fowler of the Bleacher Report. Uh, what is your level of concern with the Kansas City Chiefs and their, uh, I, I guess, sometimes inability to get that offense going? I mean, we, we know the issues with the receiving room, um, but a lot of times this year we have seen them struggle to put points on the board. What, what's your level of concern there?
5: Yeah, I think Patrick Mahomes at times, as special as he is as an athlete, and 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 I don't think anybody else will say there's a better quarterback in football right now over the last couple of years, it's just sometimes playing too much hero ball for me, trying to do too much in too many certain times to where it's a third and five and he's scrambling around for five, six seconds to where you watch him in years prior and he's just dropping back, making one or two reads, and the guy's maybe not separating enough or just throw a guy open. And Mm -hmm. there is no more Tyree kill on the outside. We all understand that, but We talked about that last year, and they go and win the Super Bowl. But teams, I think, right now are focusing more on 87, and that is Travis Kelsey. Now, granted, still almost got 100 yards yesterday, but who else is around him? And they've made additions in Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice, and they have some other names that they brought in, like Richie James. But those guys just haven't stepped up at all. And as good as Patrick is under center, at some point you have to ask those guys to at least get a little bit of separation to help Patrick Mahomes out to where he doesn't have to make a perfect throw every single time. And, and that's where it comes down for me right now, where I'm not going to count out Patrick Mahomes as long as he's in Kansas City, similar to how we thought about Tom Brady when he was in New England. I'm not going to count him out when it comes down to it. But these guys on the outside have to help him help out a little bit, excuse me, other than Travis Kelsey.
6: Well, speaking of Tyreek Hill, his new team, 9-3, and three, uh, dominated yesterday against a not very good commander's team. But do you look at the Dolphins as the class of the AFC?
5: I think they are right up there, but I do think that this offense could potentially be the class of the AFC. It is unbelievable. I mean, you've got your Lamborghinis, your McLarens, your Ferraris <laughs> in the form of Kyrie Hill, Jalen Waddell, Devon HN, and then you got Raheem Mostert as well, who are all, they're, ex, they're former track athletes, mm-hmm. but there's a big stigma that surrounds track athletes putting up the track spikes in football players, and they're hell of a football players. all four of those guys. and. They're just fantastic with what they do and when, when they, what they ask Tua to do in this offense. Because the main question this year was, is Tua going to be able to stay healthy? and mm-hmm. Are we going to see the best version of this Miami offense? And I think we are. And they put up 70 earlier in the year. I know they've, had a, they've been beaten up on bad teams. And this next month of the season is really going to be tested. But, man, you watched that offense yesterday to where if Washington had any chance to keep that game close, this team puts up probably 60 points. Tyreek Kill. 130 yards in the first half, no one can cover him. I don't think anybody can cover him. Washington really broke one of the ten commandments in football of running man against Miami. You just <laughs> don't do it. You, don't, you just don't do it. So Miami, I think they are the class of the AFC offensively. I'm just interested to see how that front four on defense steps up with the loss of Jalen
6: Phillips. As you look around the AFC, we talked about the Chiefs, we talked about the Dolphins. Uh, We also talked about the 49ers and the Eagles and the NFC. Do you look at the AFC and see anyone that you think is on that level that you think can be competitive against the NFC in the Super Bowl?
5: I really like Baltimore. I really do. Their defense right now is the best in football, and it's just looking at Lamar Jackson in this offense. How much can he do? Because he can win with his arm and he can win with his leg. The big stigma around him is, He's a running back playing quarterback. Well, he's proven that he can throw the football. Mm -hmm. However, similarly what Travis Kelsey offers to Patrick Mahomes, losing Mark Andrews is going to be huge for this Baltimore offense because they've tried to make additions on the perimeter. Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers has been an excellent first-round pick out of Baltimore, or excuse me, out of Boston College, but he's been banged up a little bit too. So it's who steps up around Lamar on offense, and if they do, I think they absolutely have a chance to get to the Super Bowl this year and potentially win the whole thing because they are special on defense.
6: Uh, just a little bit more here on the NFL before we switch over to college. Uh, the Patriots fall to two and ten with that super bizarre game against the Chargers yesterday um, it was was that a game of two head coaches that are not going to be there next year
5: It could be, and
6: it 's crazy to
5: say that about Bill Belichick, considering what the success that he 's had over the last couple of decades, but both those teams look completely inept in all three phases of the game mm-hmm. and a lot of people forget that the Chargers even drafted a guy like Quinton Johnson in the first round. It just has not worked out for them. Justin Herbert, that offense, the defense that they got—they're way too talented to be five and seven and to win a football game six nothing to where they didn't even score a touchdown. I completely agree with you. I think both coaches are, are I'm going to say Staley's more likely to go than Bill Belichick because of the relationship he has with the ownership there. Sure. But what an ugly ball game that was in New England, where we saw Ezekiel Elliott run for 50 yards and really be the most (laughs) dynamic player in that entire football game, which was
6: pretty embarrassing, if you ask me. Um, Do you think there's a chance that Bill Belichick is coaching the Chargers next year?
5: I don't think so. Okay. I I don't think so. I, I think right now I potentially see Bill Belichick holding out and being the potential next coach of New England next year with getting a fresh new quarterback in the building because it hasn't worked out with Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. They even activated Malik Cunningham yesterday. If he had to come in, it just hasn't worked out for them. So I don't expect him in L.A. Maybe we see him in, in, in New England. Maybe he gets another shot with a fresh new quarterback under center in the form of Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams. We'll see.
6: We're talking with Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. All right, let's switch gears over to college football. Not that there was anything too crazy that happened yesterday. Oh, wait, a Power 5 undefeated team got left out of the college football playoff. What did you make of the committee's decision to leave Florida State out, and uh, I guess what would you have done in that situation? Can't do it. You, you just can't hold out Florida State. Um, we talk about results, and if,
5: if, if Jordan Travis was that important to this Florida State offense to where they keep him out as, again, undefe- undefeated Power 5 team, then he deserves to win the Heisman, if mm. you ask me. So yeah. if, if you just cannot do it because you watch this defense play against a excellent Louisville offense and hold them to – they were just inept. On offense, winning games with a backup quarterback and a third-string freshman quarterback. The defense was dominant. Everyone stepped up when they needed to. And when Jordan Travis was there, they were they're the only team in college football, other than Alabama, that has the top ten pick on defense in Jordan and Jared Verse, and offense in Keon Coleman. So from a talent perspective, mm-hmm. they are one of the most loaded teams in football. But then you look at their results, and I feel like the results have to matter here. We're not talking about rankings or what. The money's going to be in, in uh, the business side of things for college football because that's the way I think Alabama is at four. And it's unfortunate that Jordan Travis got hurt. But you cannot keep a 13-0 and undefeated Power 5 team. I know the ACC, in the grand scheme of things, is probably considered dead for some people. It was really Florida State and Clemson heading into the year. But overall, you just cannot do it. it now, these games, I think are going to be interesting. These semifinal mattress are going to be fun. But just from the basis of things, you cannot, you can flat out cannot do it.
6: Could I make the argument to you that the perception of the SEC as this juggernaut from top to bottom of teams that are just far and away better than everyone else is more myth than fact. Like, yes, they're very good at the top, but... It doesn't look like to me, at least, the middle, of, in the middle and bottom of the SEC is any different than most other leagues. Am I crazy or can I make that argument? No, you're not
5: crazy at all. I completely agree with you. I mean, the, two weeks ago, the prayer of Jordan Hare doesn't happen, and we're not talking about Alabama. And that Auburn team. Not beat the They're not very good. They're not very good. Exactly. And Alabama barely beat Arkansas. And they struggled earlier with a team like UAB. So this Alabama team was by no means the Alabamas of old, and the SEC as a whole was not the SEC of old because the Pac-12, the now defunct, extinct Pac-12, is now, was the best conference in football, in my opinion, this year. And Washington absolutely deserved to potentially mm-hmm. be the number one seed in this entire thing because there's a lot of questions about who Michigan played and beat as well, outside of, of course, Penn State and Ohio State. But I completely agree with you. The SEC as a whole this year was... Drastically below average, and you have to take this on a year-by-year basis. And it's just, I don't, I just don't know why Alabama is at four.
6: Yeah, I mean, I really don't know that I see a huge difference between, you know, Louisville, Clemson, North Carolina, NC State, and Missouri, Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU, right? Like, because that's the section of the conferences we're talking about. Like Missouri and Louisville, pretty comparable. Tennessee and like an NC State or North Carolina, pretty comparable. You can make an argument that Clemson is the most talented team out of that entire group of, you know, eight or so, whatever I named. I just, I, the perception that the conference put out there, you know, the Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other, I think is just made up. <laughs> no,
5: I, I agree with you, and I think the bottom line, when we look forward into this thing this year with four teams, I'm excited for next year where there's twelve. Now, for some people, that may be too much, but I think it's the perfect number to where football you gotta line up at the end of the day. It is not spreadsheet football. You can't look at a depth chart and say, That team's gonna beat this team because right now, if we had it this year, we should we would have seen Liberty face Florida State. Now the talent discrepancy is big. However, mm-hmm. Liberty's got some they've got some NFL players on either side of the ball that can play some football for you. So I just think it's going to be really fun moving into next year and the years following, where we get 12 teams to where anything can happen. More football, in my opinion, is always the best when it comes to college perspective.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not too much for me. I, I was advocating for 16, and I still think they probably end up getting to 16 at some point, unless you know we have the the Power Five Super League break off at some point. But um, I do think a 16 team playoff is would have been my preferred. Uh, method there I guess going back to the SEC for just a second here how much of an issue do you have with the fact that they do play fewer conference games than everyone else and like how much of an advantage is that do you think where you know they throw in a Chattanooga or whoever in the middle of November to to kind of even out their schedule
5: Yeah, it's more so you look at it from an Alabama's perspective, even Georgia's perspective, I think people are overlooking in this process. It's unbelievable. that They're not even five. They're six in these rankings. it's, It's a cupcake schedule out of conference. And then if you win one or two of your major games, you're automatically in it. Back to your question earlier about the SEC bias. And that's where really it comes down to it for me. There is truly, absolutely, you cannot look at this playoff specifically and not say that there is, SEC bias I, I want SEC teams to play more of each other if they're that big and bad of a conference even though they got two more teams next year coming in continue to play each other and and leave out the Chattanoogas or the University of Wisconsin Alabama of Pennsylvania leave those teams out play more of each other and really show who the cream of the crop is if you have you know the SEC with four stars and five stars everywhere
6: Uh, Ryan, of the teams that actually did make the college football playoffs, we've got Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. What are your initial thoughts of how that could possibly play out?
5: I think the first uh, semi-Washington and Texas, I think that 2-3 matchup is going to be fantastic. Now, it may be a behind-the-barn 45-40 type of matchup. We know Big 12 defenses like Texas, they don't really like to play a lot of defense. It could be an old Red River River showdown with them and Oklahoma we've seen over the years. (laughs) But Quinn Ewers and Michael Penix going at it, I think that's going to be a really fun matchup. Michigan and Alabama, you look at Michigan's roster, they, they have contrasting styles on offense and defense to where their offense is from 1980s where they want to run at you. But they've lost guard Zach Zinzer, who's going to be a major loss for them in the middle. You kind of saw it in that Big Ten game, Big Ten title game, excuse me, against Iowa. And then, But on defense, they have the talent to counter guys like Jermaine Burton on the outside. And linebackers who run sideline to sideline if Jalen Milrow wants to escape outside the pocket. So, for me, the most exciting matchup in the semis is going to be Washington and Texas. Michigan and Alabama Maybe that slow, methodical 20-10, 17-14 type of matchup, but I think both matchups are going to be really fun to watch,
6: specifically not only for the CFP, but for for draft fans out there as well. Do you think there's a clear favorite to, to win the title? Because out of those four teams, I, you, know, you, you kind of just went over it there. I think there's strengths and weaknesses on – every single roster there i don't think you can look at this four and say this team is for sure the best is there a team that you're leaning toward there isn't
5: there absolutely isn't i think all four teams are pretty equal i think you can have concerns like pros and cons you could balance with each of these four i think it's going to be a battle to the end for for both of these games both all offenses can score and all defenses have players at all three levels and i think it's going to come down to coaching i think it's going to come down to Execution in certain down situations to where you're going to have to execute. And that's really what we, we haven't seen it a bunch in these last two years of college football playoffs to where the semis, where it's a Ohio State against Notre Dame or a Clemson-Notre Dame, no shots to the Fighting Irish out there in South Bend, but we, every time they show up in the CFP, it's usually a boat race. But all four of these teams are really talented on either side of the ball, and I think you're going to get good games out of all these. But I don't have a favorite right now.
6: Uh, Ryan, real quick before we let you go here, you mentioned you know if Jordan Travis was that important to Florida State that they get left out, then he should win the Heisman. I don't think he will, uh, but you look at the kind of candidates. Who do you think is the most deserving player of the Heisman this year?
5: For me, it's Jaden Daniels at LSU, uh, and I, I, I think when I finalize my QB board this draft cycle, I think he's going to be QB three behind Drake May and Caleb Williams. I think – you look at what he's done this year at LSU, another one of those transfers right in from Arizona State where people forget that he was even there. Mm-hmm. Now, it was nice having Malik Neighbors on the outside and Brian Thomas Jr. Both those guys are going to be drafted this year and high at that. But his legs and the arms, and he kept LSU in football games to where LSU's defense was abysmal. They were one of the worst units not only in the SEC but all, in all college football as well. They were bad on the defensive side of the football. But Jaden's special. I mean, first guy sent Johnny Manziel over a decade ago to Throw for three thousand yards and rush for a thousand or more. He is my Heisman winner, and I think he's also going to be able to translate that to the next level and be a dynamic athlete on Sundays for some teams.
6: Could I make the argument that Michael Penix and what he was able to do at Washington deserves consideration over the three-loss Jane Daniels at LSU?
5: Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you watch Michael Penix and the big throws he made in that Pac-12 title game, and it's nice having guys on the outside like Romo, Dunze, But <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be really interested to see how he performs if they potentially meet a Michigan or an Alabama in the final. And those teams take away a guy like Romo Dunze, Because I don't think Texas will. They have talent on the defensive front, but Michigan with Will Johnson and Alabama with a guy like Aid McKinstry and Malachi Moore, they will take away a guy like Romo Dunze. So Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan, those are the guys that are going to have to step up. But Michael Penix is, it's been a really nice evaluation since coming over from Indiana to where at times he was unplayable there for the Hoosiers.
6: Where where does Michael Penix fall on your quarterback board? He's probably going to be QB four. Okay, right I mean, after Daniels, right behind, right behind Jaden Daniels. Yeah, yep. Is there anyone on that QB? Sorry, I'm a, I'm a big NFL draft nerd. Uh, is there anybody on that QB board that would surprise me?
5: Um. I don't think so. I think it's all the popular names. I, I like Bo Nix probably a little bit more than others. Okay, um, He's right there alongside Michael Penix for me. J.J. McCarthy is more of that efficient type of Brock Purdy talent, in my opinion, where if he falls in an offense that will work around him and ask him to play that hero ball and be the supreme athlete that we sometimes ask quarterbacks to be, what we've seen at times from Bryce Young in Carolina. Uh, he's right there in, in that mix. But there's a clear tier for me at the top with Caleb Williams, Drake May, there's Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix. Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy, and then we'll go down
6: from there. What do you do with Jordan Travis with his kind of unique skill set and the injury?
5: Yeah, I really like Jordan Travis coming into the year. I uh, remember I was on a Florida State podcast before the season, and I picked Florida State to win the ACC, and I picked them to actually be in the CFP. And it just stinks to see the injury for Jordan. But his evaluation as a prospect hasn't changed too much for me. Um, just watching his game and what do you think he's going to be when he's healthy at the NFL level. There's still concerns with his arm strength, his ability to process. Really fun outside the pocket, but the height will will scare some teams. So Mm -hmm. can he see over the offensive line at the next level? That's a big concern for some scouts and personnel I've talked to in the trap process. So he's going to be someone I think that deserves an opportunity. I don't think he's a starter right away, but absolutely you got to come in as a potential QB, two that can be a change-of-pace guy with his legs if you need to be. I think he absolutely deserves an opportunity somewhere.
6: You think he could – he could kind of replicate a, a Colin Kaepernick role?
5: I think he could. I think it's a good fit. I think it's a good little prospect comparison. Absolutely. I don't think he has the arm, the arm right. talent. Right, yeah, of yeah. Colin Kaepernick, but with the legs, the leadership, I think that matters, the ability to just lead an NFL offense. I think, yeah, lead an NFL offense, I, think I absolutely could do that.
6: Ryan Fowler from the Bleacher Report. Uh, Ryan, we're going to have to have you back on to talk about uh, more draft stuff, uh, but appreciate your time for sure, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's Ryan Fowler from the Bleacher Report. Coming up next, it's time for the War Horse Sportsbook Sports Cleanup here on Herd at Sports Radio.
3: <laughs> You're listening to Herd at Sports Radio. Things you wanted us to get to from the weekend, but we didn't.
4: Cleanup on aisle
6: six. It's the sports cleanup. Welcome into the Herdat Sports Radio War Horse Sportsbook Sports Cleanup here on AM 590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. Lots of stuff to get to that we just haven't had a whole lot of time to address yet today. Uh, first and foremost, want to. Give a shout-out to both Nebraska and Creighton Volleyball on reaching the Sweet 16. Uh, Creighton did so in impressive fashion. Obviously, Nebraska did as well. Nebraska will face Georgia Tech uh, here in a few days. Um, They were able to advance out of their own uh region their little pod they'll stay in lincoln which is uh good for them they beat uh l i u and then uh uh and then missouri as well uh they play as i mentioned georgia tech on thursday and then the winner of kentucky arkansas will play the winner of nebraska georgia tech with a spot on the line to go to the Final Four. That will be uh, on Saturday. Creighton will no longer be at home. They hosted in their uh, opening round games at DJ Sokol Arena where they swept Colgate and Minnesota. They will play Louisville on Thursday at eleven A.M. That is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um Creighton dominant 3030 uh in their uh two matches. Nebraska dominant as well, three oh three oh in their two matches. So the state's uh remaining two Division I teams in the NCAA volleyball tournament are both headed to the Sweet 16 with aspirations of much more on the line for Creighton uh, kind of broke a little tough streak in the NCAA tournament they had not made the Sweet 16 since 2016 I believe Um, they had a a little rough stretch of not getting out of that second round Uh, Coach Booth and company were able to break through against a, a very solid Minnesota squad and uh, reach the Sweet 16. So, congratulations to uh, Coach Cook in Nebraska, Coach Booth at Creighton, um, and everybody in the state of Nebraska who uh, enjoys volleyball, as Nebraska still has two teams alive and well in the NCAA tournament. Um, another thing that I wanted to get to just real quickly here uh, Quentin Newsom enters the NFL draft. Um, so he will uh, be moving on from Nebraska. Um, not a surprise there. Q does. Yep. He's out. He is, he's moving on, um, which I think it would have been his COVID year, so I don't think right. very many people expected him to come back. Um, but he is entering the NFL draft. Uh, as far as I can tell, and I've been trying to keep an eye on this as closely as possible, no other significant Huskers – Uh, Planning to leave uh, with eligibility on the table. We already heard about Ty Robinson coming back. We already heard about Ben Scott coming back. Um, Those are two big uh, names to retain for uh, Nebraska. The only guys that I'm seeing in the portal so far are uh, reserve tight end John Goodwin and uh defensive back Javier Morton. Uh those are the two that appear to be transferring no other and those are, are no uh, no offense to these guys, but they are not players of consequence for this Nebraska roster. Um the rest are either eligibility, uh you got a couple guys retiring for health reasons, Nick Henrich, Ty Han. It's not a health reason for Ty Hon. He's just married and going to go farming, as we found out last week. Uh, Blaze Gunderson is a health issue as well. So. Nothing. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, listen. He's just Ty Hon. He's he's engaged and going to go farming. Um, sounds like a pretty <laughs> good life, right there. <laughs> hey, there's certainly west. There's certainly worse ways to spend your time. I'm not kidding either. It <laughs> sounds great. I know. I mean, you're an Iowa kid at heart, right? You got yeah, that. I grew, uh, I grew up on the farm. Yeah, so. you grew up on the farms. So you you appreciate that. Um, I grew up right here in Omaha, so I don't know that I'd do well on a farm long term, but uh, Ty Han uh, moving on with his life, so uh, good stuff there. But that's uh, that's good news for Nebraska, at least so far. The portal's open, and as Coach Rule kind of indicated, don't expect a lot of guys to hop in there. Um, I do expect Jeff Sims to move on at some point, uh, whether that's – I would imagine he's going to transfer. I don't know that the NFL draft route is right for him at this point um, just based on the season he had Um, but I I wouldn't expect Jeff Sims to be on the roster next year Uh, but who knows we'll we'll see Uh, we've talked a lot about college football here today Um, we've talked a lot about NFL football uh, with Ryan Fowler there Some I'm really having a hard time figuring out who beats either the 49ers or Eagles. And after last night, I I guess the 49ers mostly, I'm having a real hard time figuring out who beats the 49ers on their way to a Super Bowl. And that's not just because I'm a 49ers fan. It is That's a dominant team. They did have a three-game losing streak, so they're not unbeatable. Um, But that is a really, really good football team. They are second in point differential in the NFL, ironically enough, to the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who are at plus 168. The 49ers are at plus 163. Um, If there is only a, a couple other teams above the plus 100 mark, one of them, was mentioned by Ryan Fowler, the Baltimore Ravens, plus 137. They were on a bye this week. Um, they're, They're a really good football team. I do worry about Lamar Jackson's ability to win with his arm without Mark Andrews available to him. I think he provides a lot of the same security that Travis Kelsey provides to Patrick Mahomes. Um, and obviously, Lamar Jackson is not the thrower of the football that Patrick Mahomes is.
0: Do you uh, do you gear up after your team wins, like the the championship? Like, are you gonna gear? I mean, if if the 49ers win the Super Bowl, Ooh. are you gonna come in with new gear?
6: I might get a I might get a hat. I think I've I've started leaning more hat away from uh, away from t-shirts. I don't wear a ton of like graphic t-shirts anymore. Um, that's to say, t-shirts with graphics, not t-shirts that are graphic, like offensive. Uh, I've never, <laughs> never really worn a lot of those. Hats
0: look a little better on the shelf
6: too. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of hang them up on my wall, the hats and everything. Um, i pr- I would probably get something. I don't know what. I've gotten those. Like uh, there was a Red Sox World Series that I got like a commemorative baseball. Okay. So I would think about something like that. I would get something. I don't know what it would be. I'm not going to go crazy and, you know, buy all the on-field merch and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I would get something. That that's a I mean, they haven't won one since I was a kid in 94. So, I mean, it's a pretty big deal. I, I think I'd get something. That's almost 30 years. That's, that's quite a bit, yeah. You so that's know? cool. I geared up a lot when the Red Sox won in 04. I got the T-shirt. I got the hat. I got a bunch of stuff. You get the DVD, you get all that. Oh yeah! So I've got that was one of my favorite Christmas presents ever, uh, was getting the box set of DVDs uh, of the entire ALCS. Oh wow! And World Series, and the World Series of, of the uh, of the '04 Red Sox. And it was at the time it was expensive. It was like 150 bucks or right. something. And I think like my whole family was like, okay, this is kind of from all of us because we didn't. Typically, spend that much money on each other for uh, for Christmas. So,
0: was this a Sports Illustrated thing?
6: I don't know who put it out, but I I watched those DVDs endlessly when I was younger. I mean, all the time. I used to fall asleep watching like Game Four game, of the World Series. So Game Four and Game Five of the ALCS actually, because those were the longer games that the Red Sox would. Uh, they went. They won in twelve and fourteen innings respectively, and so I would I would fall asleep watching those. Uh, watching those games, uh, so the DVD sets I did I did like those, but now you can find games everywhere. Now the DVDs aren't as yeah, aren't I mean, as big you just of a deal go to anymore. YouTube and that's true. All those games are on YouTube now. I've I've actually or watched whatever
0: them. or whatever network. If you have the NLB, I'm sure it's probably on their network somewhere.
6: Absolutely. So yeah, I would get some gear. I would get something if if the 49ers won, but. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we're a long way from that, but at this point in the season, doesn't look like there's a whole t- lot of teams to stand in their way. That is the Warhorse Sportsbook Sports Cleanup. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jacob Padilla about some basketball, some volleyball, everything else here on HerdAt at Sports Radio.
3: You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio to go his third triple of the first half and their leading scores starting to heat up here at PBA and this was a dominant performance by Greg McDermott's team and the Blue Jays with a 29 point victory against Nebraska
6: wrapping up the show here on a Monday I'm Ravi Lula we're on AM 590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. hurt at Sports Radio is brought to you by Dyer Law. If you have been hurt in a personal injury accident, you can count on the Dyer Law team to provide you with a helping hand when you need it. No matter what you're dealing with, call the Dyer Law team at 402-393-7529 or visit Dyer.Law to chat with trusted professionals about your personal injury claim. That's D-Y-E-R.Law. Joining us now is our friend Jacob Padilla of Herd At Sports. Jacob, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I as- assume you're doing even better because of the way that Creighton performed yesterday against Nebraska. People forget you are a Creighton alum and you cover the Jays now, again, where you belong. Um, how, uh, how would you rate? Creighton's performance yesterday because despite the final score i I didn't think that was more than like a b plus game from them. Am I crazy? yeah, no, I was going to say b
7: um I know uh Bear Sherman wasn't happy with his own performance because he wanted that thirty piece uh <laughs> with a few of the rim outs in the second half uh He was frustrated by that, but uh yeah, i mean they 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 did a good job of settling in. Um, and they kind of went on that, the typical run that we've seen in every game but one this year uh, to end that first half. And then in the second half, their defense uh, stepped up and um, kind of took over when the offense started slowing down. So it wasn't necessarily a complete performance, but because, um, I mean, you look at what their, their best players, like their, the guard court, uh, the starting guards, uh, did, not, did not shoot great uh, overall. Uh, between the, the the three of them but uh, the role players uh, were efficient with their opportunities and Nebraska shot under 35 percent for the field.
6: Uh, Jacob I'm glad you brought up the defense for Creighton because I know that's something that people have looked at this year and said hey maybe that's a place they take a step back and, and I kind of get what they're saying there uh, but Nebraska had been pretty good offensively and especially what Creighton was able to do to them in the second half, like, that has to be pretty impressive, right? Yeah, I mean, uh,
7: Nebraska was a top 25 offense coming into this, and this performance vaulted uh, Creighton up to 10th in adjusted defensive efficiency on Kempom. I think they were around like 21st, 22nd, somewhere in that range. They were were in top 25, but, like, that's a solid 10-spot jump, something like that, uh, from one game, which... Uh, kind of shows the respect that the, the numbers at least had for what Nebraska had done offensively so far this season and Casey Tominaga had a good first half but outside of that they really kept everybody else in check um, nobody else played well offensively um, and Tominaga slowed down in the second half that kind of got uh, they got him under control so uh, just, yeah, really impressed performance. The two for 22 from three certainly helped. Sure. Um, but uh, Greg McDermott said a lot of those 22 threes were the, the threes that Creighton wanted them to take and not necessarily the ones that Nebraska wanted to take. And so that's, I mean, that, that really is the, uh, between not fouling, which uh, Nebraska, that, that was the key in this game because Nebraska has Uh, basically more than double their opponent in free-throw rate uh, on the season heading into this one. They had a huge advantage at the free-throw line in almost every game they played this year. Uh, And Creighton obviously is best in the country at not fouling. So uh, that was going to have to uh, give one way or the other. And uh, Creighton certainly won in that regard. And then in the the three-point game, um, Creighton's been really good at taking away 3 point opportunities for teams, even though that teams that hit them, uh, I believe like a 35% rate or so uh, against them. So they, they had knocked them down at a decent percentage, but they, were, they weren't they were able to get off many good books because of the way that Clayton has been defending. And uh, that was certainly uh, the way it played out on Sunday as well.
6: Uh, we're talking with Jacob Padilla of Heard Sports. Jacob, you've obviously watched this Nebraska team a ton, covering them in years past and and obviously just being part of of the the college basketball uh, local community here. How how would you build a team and an offense around Casey Tominaga being your best offensive player cuz I I think it's maybe more of a unique challenge than people realize.
7: Um Let's, and that that was the, the problem. Honestly, the the way they did it at the end of last year uh looked pretty good. Um and it's through playing uh like through the high post with the big man like we saw with Derek Walker last year, because he's he's not necessarily a great on the ball player, although I mean you look at what he did uh against Creighton, like he only hit one three. Yeah. A lot of it was kind of off the bounce, uh in that pick-and-roll game against that drop. Um, he's actually improved significantly in that, and uh, I think that's probably some of the, the 3x3, the international experience coming in there as he's continued to um, work on this game and get chances to expand it. Uh, but he's not necessarily a, a lead guard that's going to run a, a bunch of pick-and-rolls and co-create his shot consistently. Um, he's a really good off-the-ball cutter, though. Obviously, he's good coming off screens, coming off handoffs. So the, um, I think the, the key is you just run a, a lot of actions involving him, get, get him a lot of different chances to, to, to get different looks at because he can score in a lot of different ways. Um, but to, for that, you need someone that can really uh, attract the, the defense's attention and initiate, um, and that's where they really struggled against Creighton. is nobody else played well. <laughs> That Creighton game was kind of like uh, Creighton's Colorado State game in that, mm-hmm. it's like, well, uh, really nothing we try is working right now. Nobody's got it, um, and the the defense that Creighton played, shutting down Rink Mast, um, Bryce Williams uh, in particular, those two had played really well recently, and Juwan Carey for the first time all season he failed to get the double digits mm-hmm. um, and wasn't really a factor on the glass at all. Only played 24 minutes, so. Um, I, they, they've been a really balanced offense to this point, where it wasn't all right. Case go go be our guy, um, and it kind of had to be that on uh, on Sunday because of the way that Creighton defended them.
6: Jacob, do you? Th- I, I think yesterday showed some of the places where Nebraska misses a Derek Walker the most in not being able to take advantage as much of of Ryan Calkbrenner the way they did last year. Um, do you think? Kase suffers as much as anyone from not having Derek Walker on the team this year? Uh,
7: not really. Like I said, Kase has played really well, actually. Um, and he was, what, about fifth, 15 a game on 50 40 uh, shooting. Honestly, uh, I think Ryan Kalkbrenner being healthy uh, hmm. made it tougher for Nebraska to uh, take advantage of him. Creighton had a really good game plan defensively. The they tweaked. They changed some things slightly just based on the personnel Nebraska has. Um, and I, I think, honestly, the the, the biggest problem with uh, this game was uh, Mast and Josiah Alec. I mean, Alec had only attempted five threes, but he had hit two of them. Rink uh, has had a few games this year, he's hit uh, two, three threes. And um, against the drop, those opportunities were going to be there. And they just couldn't hit him. Um, Creighton uh, dared those guys to want Gary to hit threes, and they shot a combined one for 11 between the, the three of them. Mm. So um, that was, I, I think, yeah, Derek Walker obviously played really well last year um, and, and attacked Brenner in some unique ways, um, but I mean, you look at um at the start of the game, they, they put Brenner on Alec um, so that he could kind of play off and then be more at help, and they had Claire Shireman and Mason Miller and Isaac Trout and those guys, kind of the the primary uh, defender on on mass. And I I thought we might see something like that because kind of the the, the funky matchups there with the the way that their two front courts play. But um, those guys did a good job of fighting and battling mass and preventing him from getting some easy inside touches. um, And and the threes didn't fall as well.
6: Uh, Jacob, real quick, got about a minute left here. Want to switch gears to volleyball, Nebraska and Creighton both. Advancing to the Sweet 16. I think obviously most people expect Nebraska to go to the Final Four, maybe even win the national championship. How realistic do you think a Final Four uh, goal is for Creighton, though?
7: Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of, of ACC volleyball, and by that I basically mean none. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I know Louisville has had a great season, and Pitt on the other side of that. But we're talking one, two, three seed. And the, the the improvement that Creighton has made uh, throughout the season, having to navigate the injuries, uh, has led to some of their other players really uh, growing up and becoming an even more dangerous part of the team. So um, w- with a setter like Kendra Waite and um, the pins that she has to throw to, to pass to um, and the improvement kind of the other players have made, Creighton's got to be as good a shot as anybody. I mean, they're, they're going to be youngs out going on the road. Um, but uh, I, I think they've got a chance. That, uh, that that match against Louisville on Thursday should be a lot of fun. And if they can get through that, I mean, Louisville is probably about on the same level as Pitt. So if you can win that first one, then you should be able to win the second as well.
6: Jacob Adilla from Herd At Sports. Jacob, we appreciate your time as always. We'll talk to you again soon.
7: All right, sounds good
6: want to remind you we're brought to you by Dingman's Collision Center. Dingman has been in business in Omaha for over 25 years and has been best of Omaha, first place, 18 years, running four great Omaha area locations. And they have the latest technology to work on any make and model. They also give back to the community with every car repaired. Go to dingmans.com for more information. That's the show for the day. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow.